Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson Skulle jag så bra som mig Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores Karlsson, Karlsson, hockey playoffs if you are have we got the goods for you this week on how you can go all the way over the last week or week plus depending on your format of fantasy hockey to make sure you're getting all the points you can and actually this is going to be a, a challenging moment for elon although we did solemnly swear when we started the cupful the keeping carlson ultimate patron fantasy league kkupfl.com that we would not let our participation in the cupful affect how much we're willing to share on the show about our plans. And this is about to be put to the ultimate test because Elon is slated to enter the finals of the Kakupful in tier one, vying to become the Kakupful ultimate champion next week and uh, is here to give fantasy advice on what he might or might not do to win that week. So this will be, I, I trust you, Elon, even though your opponent is actually here with us on the show right now oh my god yes so well the way i see it brian is i have to give the advice so i might as well get my opponent to come and also give advice and by the way we should say likely so i've had a really tough matchup against brandon and it's not over yet but yahoo has me projected to win by 40 so you know fingers crossed for me and also i should say by the way brandon maybe would have beaten me he had some bad luck dry side will miss that game batherson was injured for a couple games so anyway all that to say i think i'm going to move forward and my uh opponent i think is going to be the great Mark Kalanen, some people might know him from when he used to host the Stat Attack podcast, but Mark is here on the call, and he is also slated to win his matchup against Harrison, who had an amazing season, but Mark's currently projected to win by 50, so, you know, this isn't us showboating or or saying that we've won before we have, we're just like, you know, had to record a show here on Sunday, it's Sunday afternoon right now, by the way, but Mark is here, not only is Mark going to the finals against me, likely, he also was the top-seeded team going into the playoffs, this is like the top-tier, best-of-the-best fantasy player as far as i can say at the moment until i beat him next week mark welcome to the show thanks guys uh, thanks for having me yeah i'm a little bit apprehensive about coming on to a show where i haven't actually won the previous matchup but yeah it is looking good um, let's uh let's get that out of the way and say we're, we're both looking fairly solid tonight so um yeah i'm looking forward to next week and it's good to be able to sit here and listen to elan um perhaps reveal one or two things about his uh, his strategy and his thinking for next week, maybe. Um, I'll try not to reveal too many of my own to you guys, uh, but I am here to uh, to offer opinions maybe on a couple of guys who you're going to talk about. 
right? It's like, if these people are rostered, then you'll be willing to give opinions. But if they're in free agency, then you're going to keep it to yourself, maybe. But I guess Brian and I will have to give the goods then, because we have a, a fun list of players to discuss on this episode, and we'll get to it in just a sec. But first, let's mention quickly that Keeping Carlson is proudly presented by DauberHockey.com. It's a super cool site if you play fantasy hockey, which I'd imagine you do, or what are you doing here? I mean, welcome. I hope you like the podcast. But if you play fantasy hockey, Dauber Hockey's got articles every day, and the tools at Frozen Tools cannot be beat. So check it out, DauberHockey.com. But yeah, I figured before we get into the player discussion we've got mark here i just want mark like maybe you can explain what you did like you know brian and i talk all the time about our strategies and how we play fantasy hockey but it's you know here's another person that's you know just as successful if not more so i'd love to hear your general vibe of like how you know how how did you go into the season how did you do the auction draft maybe you can just give us a story of how you've ended up here in likely going into the finals in tier one yeah, so last season was my first time ever doing an auction draft. It was my first year in Tier 1, and uh, it, it was all new to me. Um, obviously, I'd done snake drafts for years and years, and was well used to them, but uh, auction drafts kind of were a whole new element to the game. So I put a lot of time into building myself a spreadsheet for last season, um, You know, creating my own projections, aggregating other people's projections, getting a feel for where I was ranking players, and then... Uh, above just ranking the players then I had to value them as well and so I kind of did a bit of research before last season to to get a strategy for the auction draft and auction drafting is uh, it's really hard to get it right I think um, so to get it right first time around was was difficult um, and then this season I think I, I was a little less nervous coming into the auction draft I was a little less jumpy um, I wasn't you know, overreacting to things. I was a little more calm. And I think the experience of last season really stood to me. So if there's anybody out there, if I could give somebody a piece of advice is maybe try and practice your auction drafting if you're uh, if you're coming to tier one or if you plan to come to tier one in the future. Um, but yes, aside from that, so my strategy this year in coming into the auction draft, and I think my, my strategy going forward was just to give each player a value um, based on my projections and then not to overstep the value, so to, to go as high on, on them as I could and not to go, you know, $1 over. Um, and I really wanted to rigidly stick to that as, as I went through the draft. So um, if you look at my the team that I drafted, I probably didn't take too many studs. I didn't take too many superstars. Um, I think the most I spent on somebody was like in, in the $30, or $34 or, or so. Um, so I really built a team of middle of the pack guys some of whom have uh, have really excelled and and done better than expected a lot of whom I dropped um I traded twice this year which wasn't something that I had ever done I don't I, I have barely traded in my life to be honest um it, it's not something that's ever cropped up in any of the leagues I was in so t- to have two trades incorporating five players this season was big for me do you remember what they were yeah so the first one was I gave away Wheeler and Shifley in the end of November um, when they were underperforming and they then went to both become point uh, point per game players. So I probably lost that one. Um, I got in Adam Fox and Tyler Sagan and I dropped Sagan within a few weeks. Um, so I really got Fox back on that one. Uh, it, it probably was a lose for me in, in that, but I really needed a better defenseman. I, I didn't do too well in my defenseman in the draft, and I had ended up dropping a few of the guys who I'd spent a few dollars on. Um, and then the other trade was only a few weeks ago, about a month ago, I think. Um, I traded, it, it was a, a bit of a barnstormer, so I gave away Petrangelo, JT Miller, and Bo Horvath, so the two Vancouver guys. And I got in Joel Eriksson-Eck, Stephen Stamkos, and Thomas Shabbat, who unfortunately went on to get injured. 
But uh, my thinking on that trade was very much based on maximizing my semi-final uh, roster because it was looking like I was going to have a bye. It was coming towards the end of the regular season. So uh, Vancouver and Vegas had pretty poor schedules and have poor schedules next week again. So I wanted to get in those guys like Eriksson Ek and Stamkos who had the four games last week. And it's stood to me. I'm, I'm doing pretty well. I'm first of all very happy that you traded away Wheeler and Shifley because next week Winnipeg has one of the best schedules of the week actually I'd say the best schedule next week's a bonkers schedule like almost every team just goes Tuesday Thursday Saturday and then there's a few teams that play Sunday but if you could get a team that plays Monday Wednesday like that's rare and Winnipeg plays Monday Wednesday Friday Sunday so you're getting the only stream Agami. Uh, the other good schedule next week is Montreal who goes Monday Wednesday Friday Saturday so I think I'd be done already if you had Wheeler and Shifley on your team at least I see that you're gonna have to sit some players on Tuesday and Thursday so that makes me feel like I have a, a little bit of a chance or is that not even the case oh well, you still no. have two moves to make yeah so I'm gonna try and sort that out tonight um I oh, can boy. I can say that now because you've no moves left to make today but um we'll see we'll see I wanted to let the early games pass and, and see how I go but yeah you're right um I could really do with those two Winnipeg guys back for tonight and next week I also see that your draft strategy really worked out for you because even though you didn't bid yeah. on studs in terms of your payment you got studs in terms of the who they turned out to be. Like Johnny Gaudreau, who you got for $19, has turned into one of the top stars in the league. I think he's like top five in points per game at this point. Yeah, I actually wanted to comment on Marcus's draft, if you don't mind, Elon. Yeah, go. Like the like Marcus mentioned how he didn't get too many, you know, he didn't go too high on the studs. And meanwhile, you spent, you know, a hundred bucks on just Barkov and Rantanen. So you went big on on a couple players. Yeah, that's and like me. I think you're getting your value from them for the most part. But Mark went with uh, Halibuck, $34. And his next highest spend was Mark Stone, who spent 29 bucks on and has played uh, fewer than 30 games this season. Maybe he'll return just in time to help in the finals this week. I guess we'll find out in due time. But then it was those like around $20 value guys. I guess you spent 31 on Shifley, but you've traded him since. But 20 around 20 bucks, you got Mark got Miller, Shostjorkin, and Gaudreau. And I guess to a lesser extent, Suzuki, who's been helpful lately, but not for much of the season. So uh, that's a... You, you really did well in the middle of the draft. And I feel like you were one of the more conservative bidders throughout. If I remember the broadcast... Um, you weren't in on a whole lot of players, you know, when, when the bidding got high and that, that shows from your outcome. And meanwhile, yeah, Elon sort of went in the other direction, going big and making sure he got a couple studs and has a, has a few more lower end players. So it's interesting that, that you both in the auction draft took two different paths to get here. Yeah, I guess it just goes to show that there's lots of ways to win. And also, it also goes to show, I think that the draft is not like, the be all end all like a lot of people think that like if you win or you could win or lose the league in the draft maybe you could lose if you really just like waste all your picks on ple- people who turn out to be duds but i think clear, especially in tier one you know we have got our four moves per week and i think mark you've probably used your four moves lots of weeks i know i've definitely used my four moves almost every single week and you know over the season i've accumulated some good players and some of them i've even had to drop recently like i guess we're brad who we'll get to on the show but uh yeah the draft is obviously important and there's different ways to play it but then you have a whole season of great studs that appear in free agency throughout and also you have to obviously be ready to drop the people who aren't working out for you it's it's funny you should mention moves because i've actually made the least or the fewest moves in tier one oh, by, by quite a distance like i've only made 62 moves i think the second fewest is 72 and the average is 90 so <laughs> i really haven't made that many moves I, the moves i've made have been 
kind of strategic in terms of um, days, uh, days of the week or schedule. And um, so, like I brought in Mark Andre Fleury when he was dropped by uh, by Patrick earlier in the season. And so I've run with three starting goalies the whole year, but I don't think there's been there's been maybe two days where they've all all three have played on the same day. So I just I, I kind of looked into the schedule and, and saw what fit. Now COVID kind of um, screwed things up a little bit for me around you know the Christmas time when games are being postponed and and moved around. But uh, yeah, no, I, I haven't really made as many moves as I would have expected to make. But I picked up guys who have have served me well. Like I got Joe Pavelski and Mark Andre Fleury, and you know they've stuck on my roster. Oh my god. Uh, I wish now I got those guys instead of you. But okay, let's move forward. I guess people probably are interested to hear from the big brain of Mark making it to the finals, but we, maybe we get to it more so in terms of discussing the players. I guess Brian brought up that Mark has Mark Stone, who you drafted, you've had in your IR for a while, and now you might get him back next week. The Vegas Golden Knights all of a sudden getting their studs back in time for, I guess, a playoff. They were hoping it would be in time for the playoffs, but they still have to make the playoffs because things have been a little rocky for them. But they did get Max Pacioretty back for that game on Saturday versus the Coyotes and Pacioretty for anyone who brought him out of their IR in time were rewarded with a goal he took four shots not like a huge amount of ice time but you know maybe they're easing him back in a little bit uh, so Pacioretty played on a line with uh, Chandler Stevenson and Matthias Janmark which is kind of surprising I'm actually I had to like double check myself to make sure I had this right but I'm looking at frozen tools here Eichel was playing with the Donov and Nicholas Roy and then Marcia so was playing with William Carlson and Michael Amadio that said, maybe we shouldn't read into these lines because with Mark Stone coming back potentially next week, things will probably all get shaken up again. So as far as the fantasy impact here, I think you have to get excited about potential players who might play with studs. You know, you think of like a a Chandler Stevenson who's maybe been dropped in your league because he hasn't been so exciting. But all of a sudden now, if he gets reunited with Stone and Pacioretty, who knows? Brian, like, are you especially excited about the top end guys? Because also Pacioretty's been so disappointing. Like, I don't know. It'll be nice for him to at least give a small reward to anyone who drafted him and somehow isn't already eliminated because he missed so much time. We've been watching Pacioretty's returns from injury a lot this year, because remember, when he returned from his first long stretch out of the lineup, Pacioretty came back and wasn't shooting. Nothing was happening. And like that made sense. It was a risk thing. But then, oddly enough, he missed another four games with what they were calling a lower body injury. And then he came back and had no troubleshooting, taking 16 shots over three and a half games. And then Pacioretty needed another uh, turn on the shelf during which his injury was undisclosed and he came back and like you said Elon he's now taken four shots in the 14 and a half minutes he's played since coming back from that so the wrist injury not shooting after that made sense uh, having missed another eight games in two different stretches since then with injuries that weren't related or weren't disclosed. like how does the NHL get away with undisclosed injuries in this day and age, like it's so close to the playoffs that they can't disclose exactly what was going on. In any case, uh, the bottom line is anybody who had patches uh, and suffered through that first return from injury should be relieved and happy to see that he is putting pucks on net and whatever that extra time on the shelf was due to. Hopefully it, it helped heal up his wrist or make him brave again to do the things he needs to do to get into open spots for shots. Uh, Patrick has just 30 games 
played this year and has been on a point per game pace, which actually makes sense as a full season pace. So that's that's saying something considering there was a stretch of eight or nine games where he was really doing very little at all. But if you have Pacioretty, yeah, get him off IR. This isn't like before where it's like, well, am I can I trust him again? Yeah, you can. You should drop someone to make room to get Pacioretty in your lineup. Okay. And then as far as Mark Stone goes, Obviously, he hasn't been officially announced to come back, but he's been skating. Apparently, he was all smiles. That's what the beat writer wrote in the tweet. Uh, Mark Stone is interesting because he's on a point-per-game pace overall on the season, but most of that was buoyed by like an insane start. Actually, before he went on the shelf, he went on a stretch of five games where in four of them he was pointless, and then one of them he had a goal and an assist. So, Mark, is there any chance that if Mark Stone returns on Tuesday, you're just going to leave him in your IR since you're full anyways? Or are you like for sure going to bring Stone in? against me no there's every chance i will probably drop him because i don't have the room to accommodate him and i'm not sure he's better than the other options i have you know i haven't seen him in so long and my most recent memory of him is that cold stretch before he went out injured so uh, i'm not not committing to it one way or another you know i I might keep him in case somebody else gets injured i'll see how my moves go but he's not a sure thing to be coming back into my lineup for a three-game week on the busy days I think that sounds reasonable. So long as he's not locking your roster from being stuck in that IR spot. Uh, Like I am also, so I had Mark Stone in a league where I'm no longer in contention for the title, unfortunately. But if you've made it this far, having had Mark Stone in an IR all season, yeah, I don't think you necessarily automatically start him if he's not a for sure upgrade over the other guys in your lineup who are probably pretty good based on, you know, how your season has gone, if you're still competing. And keep in mind, like, Mark Stone's last game played, February 8th. So it's been two months since he played. And I don't know if it's going to be, like, an ease-in game. And you might not want to risk that. You might not want to risk Mark Stone playing, you know, third-line minutes, maybe with no-name line mates, maybe getting a couple turns on a top line or in the top six. Uh, but there is some risk involved. Of course, there's reward, too, and you're going to have to make that choice for yourself. Stone has been on a, a point-per-game pace through 28 games this season, even with that cold stretch, which makes sense. Last year, he was a 90-plus point player, but his shooting percentage was uh, the highest we've ever seen in his career. So that's regressed, and he's actually taking fewer shots in Vegas than he really used to in Ottawa or in his last couple of years in Ottawa in his first year in Vegas. So that's another reason to say, hey, maybe this isn't a, a sure shot to get Mark Stone production on his first game back. So if you can handle it and, uh, you know, you're not having streamer level players in the lineup in front of Mark Stone, then yeah, maybe you you plan ahead, make sure you get all your moves in before Mark Stone comes off, potentially comes off IR and leave him there for a game and see what happens. Yeah, I think that's a good strategy. You could even potentially, one strategy that I like is if you know you have a player coming off IR soon, but you don't know necessarily what move you want to make, put in like waiver claims for players that have been dropped recently that, you know, Yahoo will process the waiver claims even if you have an ineligible person in your IR, as long as you put in the claim before uh, the person lost their IR status. So you could put in just claims for every player that's been dropped. And then you could think about it like on Wednesday or whatever, you know, whenever the claim's about to come through, that's when you can decide whether or not you're going to make make the move or if you're just going to activate Mark Stone instead and not drop the other player for whoever you're thinking of claiming. Uh, okay, since we're on Vegas, and I know Vegas is one of these boring like Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday teams next week, but since we're here, I got to mention another big star from that game on Saturday who's Braden McNabb. If people need D, here's a guy who's coming on strong. He just had a one goal and two assist game, but that actually didn't come completely out of nowhere. He also had an assist in the previous game versus Vancouver, also an assist a couple games back versus Seattle. So you add that all up, five points in his last four games, and McNabb's already 
already someone that people like to roster in your multi-category leagues because of the hits and blocks. Maybe Mark is licking his lips right now because McNabb is actually available in free agency. So this is, again, me tipping my hand for the good of the show when Mark's has two moves left in the week. Brian, do you think that Mark should snipe up Braden McNabb and use my uh, hot tip against me right now? I mean, McNabb has a great floor because he hits and blocks enough to be relevant if those categories are counted, which they are in the cupful. However, uh, I like for point production, no, I'm not jumping at McNabb. Put it this way, Elon, with those five points in his last four games, that's one third of his season's production has come in the last four games. And yes, uh, five points is a third of his, essentially a third of his season-long production, just 16 points in 60 games for Braden McNabb. Uh, This is a guy who has consistently been at a 10 to 16 point pace for the last four seasons since joining Vegas. I don't see anything changing. I think he just got got lucky. Like if you look at that one three-point game against Arizona, that's 20% of his season production in game number 60. Uh, and 80% came in the other 59 games. So I wouldn't get too excited about Braden McNabb unless blocks and hits help you, um, which is all you should expect from Braden McNabb. And then anything else is luck and gravy. Lucky gravy. Okay, yeah. So if you if you want a floor guy for perifs that maybe can get a point, he's playing on the top pairing with Theodore. So probably it helps just because Shea's doing well lately. He had a really good highlight reel pass uh, in Saturday's game. Anyhow, okay. So I don't have any moves left, unlike Mark, but I do have kind of a move, luckily, because I have a guy in my IR who's about to return on one of these two teams, which is a good scheduled team. So everyone listening, uh, check to see if... Jeff Petrie is available in your league because he finally played after missing a bunch of time uh, in yesterday's game versus Toronto. And we're not talking about the old Jeff Petrie from the start of the season that couldn't score a goal to save his life under Coach Ducharme. This is new Martin St. Louis Jeff Petrie, who's back on the top power play, I believe, or at least some power play time. I guess he was always getting second power play behind Weidman, but at least he's been getting some more points lately. And he did pick up an assist in that game against Montreal to go along with four hits and three blocks. So another I guess, high floor guy in terms of peripherals, but maybe a bit more of an offensive upside. So obviously I'm just psyching myself up, hoping that my Jeff Petrie could compete with whoever Mark's going to add tomorrow. Mark, are you uh, shaking in your boots because I'm going to get four games out of Jeff Petrie next week? Somewhat, yeah. It is a really, really uh, tough schedule next week. So it is anybody you can get who plays on those off days is valuable. And if Petrie is coming back to some sort of form, like you're saying, then yeah, he's he's an asset to you, and he's uh, he's somebody who I'd rather have um, in my team. But yeah, like I, I drafted him in another league this year, and like you said earlier on in the season, he was just he was almost instantly droppable. Any sort of um, I, I held on to him for too long, to be honest with you, in in other leagues. So uh, he's uh, he's a guy who I probably have a black mark against just for his poor performance earlier in the season. But it would be good to see him getting back to some sort of form, just not next week. Yeah, and a, a deserved black mark too, because like Petrie just has, there's been no reason to cheer for him all season long. Like I was scrolling through his game log and I was going to say, you know, Jeff Petrie, he's been off the top unit since. And then I'm like, yeah, this has actually been happening all season. Like Petrie was on the top unit for a game basically at the start of the year. Hasn't been back since. Petrie has just one power play point in 58 games 
this year. And that's with, like, even with second unit time, I would expect Patriot to have done better than that. Even with the Habs second unit specifically, compare his one power play point in 58 games this year to his 15 power play points in 55 games last year. And that has left a lot of Petrie managers very disappointed, which makes me wonder... Is Montreal putting him on the top unit to juice his value for an offseason trade, which they were, you know, rumored to try to be moving him before the deadline? Or maybe Montreal is just doing the reasonable thing and giving Petrie that spot because there's nobody else who's any more deserving or qualified than Jeff Petrie is. And it almost seemed like it was like some sort of resentment that was keeping Jeff Petrie off that top unit Curiously, they're keeping all their defensemen off that top unit fairly regularly in Montreal these days. In Montreal's last game on Saturday night, uh, they had five forwards on the ice for a total of four minutes of power play time. The team had five and a half minutes of total power play time, uh, but for four of those five and a half minutes, Montreal was playing five forwards, uh, Hoffman, Gallagher, Dvorak, Suzuki, and Caulfield were the five. Uh, Pitlick got on there for a shift, I think, uh, here and there. Uh, and I think they actually had a six forward power play, too, towards the end of the game. Um, and then, yeah, they had, P2 was the defenseman most commonly on the ice during the power play, but also kind of the second or second unit power play time because of how often the Habs were loading up their power play with forward. So that's fun to see. I love it. And uh, just the caveat that just because Jeff Petrie is seeing the most minutes of any defenseman uh, in Montreal on the power play, that doesn't mean he's seeing power play one quarterback type deployment if they keep rolling with five or six forwards when the opportunity presents itself. Right. And for a week like next week, where Montreal plays on all off days pretty much until Saturday, there's no difference between grabbing a defenseman and a forward. If you're in a points league, you might as well just grab the person. You know, it's not like, oh, I'll take Petrie because D is harder to find. Like if you want to grab a Christian Dvorak or a Brendan Gallagher, you know, it's like at this point, the position doesn't matter, at least for those Monday, Wednesday, Friday games, because you're obviously going to have lots of room. I guess we, Brian, we need to dive into Montreal because they're one of these two teams with a really good schedule. I guess the Islanders have a pretty good schedule also. But anyways, like, uh, I guess there's a big change in next. Right. So Jake Allen got injured in the game yesterday against Toronto. He was having a good game. He stopped uh, 14 of 15 shots, but then he's out. Apparently he's going to be out somewhat long term, at least for next week, I'd imagine. Sam Montembeau came in to back up. He stopped 23 of 25. So he had a good game in relief. Uh, Caden Primo has been called up. So I guess we're back to Montembeau Primo, though we have been seeing that Carey Price has been practicing. There was a quote by Martin St. Louis saying they're not going to like rush Price now that Allen is back. The timeline is still going to be the same. They're going to make sure price is 100%. So I think it's possible that Montembeau Primo might be your tandem. So I don't know. You got a Monday's game. You know, take it one day at a time in the fantasy playoffs. Like you've got Montembeau likely starting tomorrow, I'd imagine, versus Winnipeg. That's not confirmed yet. Uh, So I guess if people need goalies and, you know, you might have a lot of goalies available in free agency that normally you would want to stream in, except you're already going to have Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday full because all those days are so busy. So Again, just like all these other skaters, you might want to take a look at a Sam Montembeau, but of course, he's risky, right, Brian? (laughs) Super risky. Riskier than Carl Vimelka, who is sort of like the gold standard of inconsistent random starters that you can plug into your lineup on most nights because they're still not so commonly rostered. Uh, I'm just looking at your division Elon and Mark, and it looks like Montembeau is rostered, Price is rostered, so I'm not sure if any of you might be jumping at a Caden Primo start 
anytime soon. I, like the big question is it for for most people out there, though, especially in leagues that don't have the proper amount of IR spots, which is as many as it takes to house all your injured players. Uh, is Price going to play more than once this week or through the rest of the season? And we had this discussion on our Discord server too. And the answer, or my answer, was we're not going to know until he plays. Like, I feel like this is very close to uh, the Ben Bishop situation from earlier this year, you know, where he was working at coming back. I mean, we didn't realize how close the guy was to retirement, but it was a literally a day-by-day, game-by-game. Remember how frustrating those updates were? Like, Ben Bishop says he feels good. Uh, is he going to play? I don't know. We'll see. He's feeling good. And there was a whole time where he wasn't even commenting. Like, nobody was even talking about it. It was just, yeah, Ben Bishop is off trying to get better. Um, and then it didn't end well. You know, I have no idea. I don't... I could see the Carey Price situation going in so many different directions. But really, there's, I think, almost zero point in speculating beyond saying, let's see if and when he gets a game, what happens next. I don't think there's any way to possibly predict it, which means that, yeah, you are uh, rolling the dice with Montembeau starts if you are trying to fit in some extra goalie games for your team, which could work out really well for you or really poorly. And I think the, the chances that it blows up in your face are a little higher than it working out well, but he could be a weak winner too, low key, because, you know, when he was playing, he was stopping, if he stops 45 of 50 shots, that helps a lot of people. So uh, that's that's my take on Montembeau. It's not so different than it has been in previous weeks when we've talked about him, but he's back, I guess. So have fun going back and forth about deciding, can you risk it with a Montembeau start? Not related to that entirely, but just for tomorrow night's game, it looks like Hellebuck is starting tonight and uh, Winnipeg obviously have a back-to-back Sunday into Monday. So probably will be Eric Comrie tomorrow night if anybody's looking to stream in an early goalie in the week. Um, Although I wouldn't expect him to get more than one start next week. I I think maybe Winnipeg have a back-to-back Friday into Saturday as well. So you might get... No, no, they go Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. Oh, Sunday, So it could be all Hellebuck. Yeah, Yeah. okay. So, well, I don't know about tomorrow night. If Hellebuck starts tonight, he probably won't start tomorrow night, right? I've seen the suggestion already that Comrie is likely to start on the Monday. Okay. Oh, yeah. I think that's, you'd imagine. So, so Mark, you still have these two moves? I guess Comrie. Some, I was thinking that, like, I'm, I might want to consider Comrie tomorrow. But now that you have two moves, you're probably going to grab him before I have the chance. I guess we'll have to uh, wait and see. I know you have hella bucks, so you don't want to miss out on that Winnipeg game that you probably feel so rightly entitled to. Yeah, I was, I was hoping the back-to-back would go the opposite direction and Comrie would start tonight and hella book tomorrow, but... That's uh, advantage advantage Elon tomorrow <laughs> okay and then let's go back to the Habs quickly because again this is one of these teams where people are wanting to have streamers uh, so the lines in Saturday's game against the Leafs they were rolling with Rem Pitlick with Suzuki and Caulfield so obviously Suzuki and Caulfield are your gold stars like if somehow you can get them they're the obvious gets but outside of them there's a lot of players so Rem Pitlick is someone who's had a bit of a run you know, I don't know, like half a point every couple games, basically, over the last yeah. little while, which is like, you know, if they play four times, you might get a couple points. So you've got him. Then there was like Armia, Dvorak, and Gallagher was a line. Brendan Gallagher is like available in most leagues, and he's on a bit of a run right now. Then Mike Hoffman was playing with Josh Anderson and Jake Evans. Uh, maybe I'll throw to uh, Mark first. Uh, in terms of the available Montreal players in the couple, we've got, oh, Romanov on D, who's been great for peripherals lately. Then you could take uh, Jake Evans. You could take a Rem Pitlick. Want to share if you're uh, thinking uh, who would be your number one? Don't say like who you're going to take necessarily, but if you are going to use one of your two moves to grab a Montreal player, who's uh, on your radar right now? 
so I brought in a player this morning and I had a decision to make. I wanted to bring in a D-man for the week um, and I had a decision to make between Nate Schmidt and uh, Romanov. They were my two considerations. Um, I'm a big blocks guy. I, had, I think I had the most blocks in our division this year. So uh, I was considering Romanov, but just because Schmidt had the game tonight, I just wanted to be extra sure that I was getting there. So I brought in Schmidt, but there wasn't much between them. So I may still bring in Romanov. I, I'm, I'm not 100% set on that yet. I'm, uh, I'm still considering my options. All right, and Brian, I guess as an unbiased observer and also not having to consider necessarily the free agents in tier one of the Kakuffle outside of Suzuki and Caulfield, like who are the guys on your radar? I guess like Gallagher, Josh Anderson, Hoffman, like maybe Dvorak. I don't know. All these guys seem pretty similar to me, even Rem Pitlick. They're all extremely similar and like similarly poor options too, unfortunately. Like Rem Pitlick, he's been on the top line for four games. Uh, He's taken zero shots in his last three games and that's even with power play time and in those three games with no shots he has just one assist but he's on the top line and we've sort of seen this pattern from when josh anderson was on the top line too he could have uh, weak winning games and then be silent for another four or five before going off again so i think you're looking at a lot of busts with the potential for one big boom from rem pitlick at uh, brendan gallagher also just having a terrible season still only four shots in his last three games from somebody who we thought we could depend on uh after basically making a career of taking you know three or four shots a night falling below that mark by a long shot and just like seeing low minutes it's a, it's a repeat of last year except with even fewer points last year uh gallagher saw a big drop in his ice time and a drop in his shooting but scored on a few more shots than he normally would have and in uh, only 35 games still paced for 54 points which gave us hope that there was still some talent there but this year Woof, 34-point pace, just 19 points in 46 games, under three shots a game for basically the first time since his sophomore season back in 2013-14. And then you've got Christian Dvorak, who's still pretty boring, but he played five minutes of power play time, so not a bad option in deep leagues as someone to try out if the Habs keep trotting out five forwards. You know, I'm not sure if Dvorak is the fifth forward or if he's one of the top four, if Petrie does end up on the top unit quarterbacking. So this is all to say, I'm sorry. Like, I'm not... There are a few good fantasy options on Montreal and Winnipeg that are probably not already rostered in your league. Uh, I guess I'm saying all these guys are worth a shot, but man, they're, they're not terribly exciting. I think I'd go Dvorak first, just because of all that power play time and then Pitlick, and then Gallagher, who once had a good floor because of the shots, but as I've said many times in the last minute, uh, just doesn't have that floor even anymore. Yeah, I mean, though it is worth mentioning, Gallagher was injured, and since he's come back, he's got five points in three games. I feel like that would be enough for me to probably just grab Gallagher if I was choosing one of these halves. But yeah, it's probably a coin flip. The thing is, like, on one hand, Brian, you say, like, unfortunately, like, there's not any good... But, you know, another way to look at it is, like, Montreal has a good schedule, and they have a ton of, like, top six and even top power play players who are available in free agencies. That's kind of a good thing That's for a true. lot of people. There's, like, a ton of random upside here. Instead of yeah. just having a bunch of bottom six players... You know, if the whole top six was taken, we'd be really hopeless. But no, it's not. There are a lot of lotto tickets that are at least, you know, like have some odds of paying off. So yeah, it's, it's definitely worth bringing these guys up. And if you want to get some off day games in, these are your options. 
Yeah, and then like switching over to Winnipeg, which is the other team with that great schedule, they're more the other side, right? They're more the side where there's not many top six or definitely not top power play options available. Though, I, I mean, okay, I'm looking at the lines from the last game. So Blake Wheeler has been injured. I'm not sure if he's going to be back next week or not. I guess I don't think we have a full update yet. I guess someone in the chat or Brian or, or Mark can let me know. But like in their last game, Kyle Connor was playing with Dubois and Evgeny Svechnikov. So Svechnikov, someone we've talked about previously, is going on runs while getting in a good spot. So while Wheeler's out, it seems like he's back in that spot. Then you have Paul Stasny, who Dave talked about at length with Ben on a short shifts episode recently. And he's available in a lot of leagues. He's been playing with Shifley and Ehlers. So I think you've got your Svechnikov and Stasny would be your like top six potential swings. And then you also have got Adam Lowry, who's been getting some power play time recently, and he's playing on the third line. Uh, so I don't know, Brian, is there, a, is there a Winnipeg person that makes you more excited than one of these Montreal guys, obviously excluding your like Shifley, Ehlers, Dubois, like the people that are obviously not available to anyone? Yeah, I, I guess I'd, I'd look at a couple players. I mean, you've mentioned them. Uh, Evgeny Svechnikov, he's done nothing at all. Like, he's taken zero shots in several of his last eight or nine games. So, as somebody who was once a part of that top line and seemed like he had a chance at breaking through a little bit, there's nothing there. Adam Lowry, you know, is going to get you at least a couple hits a game. Plus, he had five shots in his most recent outing, a uh, 20-minute night, which is, I think that's a season high for him after spending most of his year playing, you know, roughly 15 minutes per game. Uh, and then you have Zach Sanford, who's new to the team, traded by Ottawa, who, Elon, you didn't mention, but he did see some power play time with Dubois, Connor, and Ehlers. Uh, just a little, not a lot. And uh, hasn't done much of anything, but he's another guy who has at least a hits floor and maybe will get like a shot, but I don't expect a lot of points to come from him. So I think Paul Stasny remains your best bet, even though uh, Paul Stasny has often looked like the best bet without doing much, but he's been pretty consistently producing now for his last 20 games. And of course, like there's been a lot of talk about him on, uh, on what was it? The short shifts episode with Ben and Dave where they were appalled in on Stasny. Uh, Like, this has been going on for a little while now. Uh, Stasny with 15 points in his last 20 games, uh, averaging over just over two shots per game in that span. So I think he's the one you're gunning for uh, if if he happens to still be around, even with this big run he's on. Uh, If if Stasny's not available, I think uh, I'd go Adam Lowry, just because of all the minutes he played. And then I'd go, I, I probably Sanford and Svechnikov are pretty close, but I'll take Svechnikov since he's playing at evens with Connor and Dubois. But again, there's a, yeah, it's almost like the Montreal situation is a little more exciting beyond Stasny, just because they, there seems to be some more, like I said, random upside. It's not like legit upside, but if you're looking for a guy who could have a good game, I feel like there's a few more of those in Montreal than in Winnipeg. Yeah, just like more recognizable names, right? Like Brendan Gallagher and Mike Hoffman and like Josh Anderson are like more exciting than, you know, like Evgeny Sveshnikov. By the way, I'm so dumb. Mark was right. Like uh, Winnipeg does play Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. I mean, Saturday. Not uh, I gotta get out of my head. There's no Streamagami next week. So it's, uh, yeah, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday for Winnipeg. I apologize for that. So Mark, I'm looking here at your available options in Winnipeg. If you want to go that way with one of your other two moves, if you don't want to go with Romanov, Looks like maybe Zach Sanford or Evgeny Svechnikov might be your best options. Are they uh, are they under consideration for you? No, no, not okay. really. Uh, Nate Schmidt was was a bit of a stretch for me, so I'm going to leave it at that. I think I'm going to mention one one player who neither of you have, and I don't know if you're just both being coy here, but Vili Hainola with a few points 
in the last few games. Three points in his last four, although he didn't play in the Jets' last game. I have yet to see if he's in the lineup for Looks tonight. Looks like he's been sent to the minors, but maybe he'll be back. So, yeah, if he gets called up, that's the kind of thing. Follow game day news. Shams will be there to retweet. And then, yeah, maybe Hainola. Honestly, at this point, if Hainola was in the lineup, I'd probably be more interested in him than, like, a Neil Pionk at this point. Pionk was dropped in tier one of the couple, like, earlier in the week. And I knew he had this good schedule both this week and next week. And I still passed. Like, maybe I would have grabbed him eventually. But what are we at now? One assist in his last... I can't even count this many games. Like in his eight, last nine eight. games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He has, he has two points in his last 12 games. One goal and one assist. He's barely shooting the puck either. Uh, like, this has been a, a bad season for Neil Pionk. It's been up and down with more down than up. He's pacing for fewer than 40 points, which is... Uh, something he hasn't done since getting to Winnipeg. This is his third year there. He's been a 50-point player the two years before this one. Uh, But things are just not going Pionk's way. Namely, uh, he's missing out on power play time and power play production in the time that he does get. So I, I don't know. I think I would have wanted him on my roster in a week where you can gain extra games played by having Pionk on your team. Like I would prefer him to any of the other names we've mentioned, just because I feel like he's more in like the Dvorak or Hoffman or Anderson category as someone who like could legit do something because he's had some really productive stretches in his career, but I can't blame you for being gun shy at this point. All right, by the way, we looked it up in the interim and yeah, Blake Wheeler doubtful for Monday. So who knows about the rest of the week, but yeah, he's probably not going to play. So those are maybe going to be your lines again for Monday. Okay, we've only got Mark for a couple more minutes. I did want to get your opinion about a I don't know. I think it worked out. We'll see what you guys think. I made a bit of a crazy drop this past week in the semifinals. I was, you know, just like you, Mark, going for games played. And I was excited about Ryan Johansson, both in terms of how hot he is. And we'll actually talk about him in just a sec. uh, But also because Nashville played like Saturday, Sunday this week and also Saturday, Sunday next week. So he's a four games, two weeks in a row guy. And I dropped Jesper Bratt to bring him in, someone who's been a darling for me ever since I picked him up in free agency. And, you know, it was a tough drop because I've loved him so much, though he made it a little bit easier for me because, first of all, Jersey's schedule is just boring. They're just playing on all these busy days for the rest of the fantasy season. But also, Bratt all of a sudden is on a bit of a cold streak. Like, of course, the day I dropped him, he had a big game because that's how it works for anyone who plays fantasy that's my experience. Whenever you drop, I remember I dropped Andre Palat earlier. This year. Like basically every big name I've dropped, they've had like a multi-point game that day. But aside from that multi-point game versus Montreal, where Brat scored a goal and an assist, he was pointless in his other five previous games now, including yesterday's game versus Dallas, where he only took one shot. He's getting like the top deployment. I wonder if the Jack Hughes injury is negatively affecting Brat. Maybe a combo of other teams now being able to focus on the Heashier Brat line. You know, since they don't have this other line with Sharon Govich and Hughes and whoever that, you know, so they could put their best defense against Jesper Bratt. And also, obviously, just the power play is missing Jack Hughes. Like, that's going to be a less effective power play. And there hasn't been a power play point for Bratt since Hughes went down. So, Mark, Jesper Bratt is in free agency at this point. So it's like everyone in Tier 1 had a shot at him after I dropped him, but he cleared waivers. So I feel like I'm totally absolved. Right? People can't say that I'm an idiot if all of a sudden Bratt has like a huge game next week because you all made the same decision. Mark, did you consider claiming Bratt after I dropped him? Or were you like me just thinking, yeah, good player. He's had a good season. But at this point, we can't fit him in our lineups and he's on a cold streak. So there's not much you can do. Yeah, it's the boring answer. Unfortunately, it's just the schedule again next week. Um, my, my lineup is so heavily rostered on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. And those are the three nights he plays. 
unfortunately it just wasn't wasn't going to fit um, I'm looking to actually offload guys who play those nights rather than pick them up um, but even just looking at his recent form like you said he's pointless in five of his last six he his ice time has been good I, I guess uh, he got 22 minutes against the Rangers which is probably a, a season high I'm thinking um, but you know 22 minutes is no good if you're only getting one shot uh, so yeah probably he will be somebody who I'm looking to maybe draft uh, next season. He's he's a point a game this season. I think he's got 67 and 67. So um, a great season for him, but just petering out a little bit uh, towards the end of the fantasy season. So probably not a guy I'd be interested in right now. Although if I had the room in, in my uh, in my roster, I would probably be thinking of picking him up all right. Oh yeah, he's definitely like the most appealing person in free agency right now, which adds the schedule. Right, and the talent is there, right? But... You know, I'd prefer him if his schedule was like Montreal or Winnipeg. I'd take him above all those guys, but it's not. And I don't think he's worth rostering. In fact, I could tell you exactly when Jesper Bratt was moved off Jack Hughes' line by just simply looking at his detailed game log over at Natural Statric and seeing how many expected goals he was on the ice for. Uh, there was a stretch, well, basically all season, Bratt has been on the ice for about one and a half expected goals per game uh, in his 15 games. Uh, the, he had a stretch of 15 games just at, before he came off the Jack Hughes line where he had at least one or more expected goals that he was on the ice for at all strengths in 12 of those 15 games. Since moving lines, uh, he has only had one or been on the ice for one or more expected goals in two of his last six games uh, and only four actual goals scored while Brat is on the ice over those six games, which isn't great. Because in that time with Jack Hughes, it was rare that he was uh, on the ice for two consecutive games with no goals. And sometimes he's on the ice for one, two, three, or four and had these great runs, but it's just not there. And I I'm, I think Jesper Brad is a good player in his own right. However, I think Jack Hughes is incredible and uh, like was a big part of the offense that was being created with Brad. And without Jack Hughes to create with now, Jesper Brad is just not as helpful as he once was, and it is showing up all over his offensive numbers. It's not just that uh, somehow he's getting unlucky or the Devils aren't scoring, although maybe that is a, a small piece of the puzzle, but I don't even really need to look at that piece because what I'm seeing is just the Devils are a less threatening team with Jesper Bratt on the ice now that he doesn't get to play with Jack Hughes, and that makes me pretty disinterested in him going forward. Yeah, it may be the case that Nico Hischier is the only like sure hold right now on New Jersey, at least for the forwards. Uh, he's been on an amazing run since Hughes went down. But aside from him, yeah, no one is as exciting, especially for a bad schedule next week. So, okay, Mark, thank you so much for coming on the show. Brian and I are going to keep going, but we want to take a second to thank Mark for coming on, giving us a little bit of insight into how he's had such an amazing fantasy season. And, you know, we've already heard from you on the Stat Attack for years. You've been like eating up all of the great knowledge from other couple competitors over the years, which I'd imagine helped you to, you know, turn you into the superhuman player at this point. So uh, it looks like you're still projected to win by 50. So let's assume that's going to hold. And in that case, good luck next week. Obviously, not too much good luck and uh congratulations on a great season so far thanks guys yeah and, and best of luck to you uh elon i'm sure i'll be talking to you during the week um really excited for it and uh may the best man win yeah and if people want to follow along with our matchup, uh, you can go to kakupful.com, k-k-u-p-f-l.com and you can see a link to tier one and you can go and follow along with how things go brian 
This has been a lot of fun so far talking with you and Mark. It's going to be you and I the rest of the way. We still have a lot of interesting players to discuss, and we'll get to all of that in just a sec. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. All right, we are back. Brian, let's continue to walk through some players that we think might be of interest to people going into a potential finals week in their fantasy seasons. Over in Minnesota, we're going to have some lineup changes next week, and that's another team that plays four times, so you might be able to fit someone in, maybe not until Sunday, but still uh, on defense. Bad news is that Matt Dumba is injured and looks like he's going to be out a while. The good news is that Jared Spurgeon is on a great hot streak, so if you're in a more shallow league and Spurgeon is available, he's He's had uh, one assist exactly in each of his last six games. He's on the top power play. Uh, so three of those six assists are power play assists. So I feel like he's an obvious guy to go for at this point. And obviously, even, like not as if uh, Dumbo was like at risk of taking his spot, but you know, even less competition now. And then also another big change is apparently Matt Boldy is likely to play. People listening will already know if Matt Boldy ended up making his return to the lineup for today's game for Minnesota. But Boldy was kind of cold, actually, like, before he went down with injury. I think we talked about it on the podcast, so maybe you could drop him. He was off the top power play. They're playing LA today, and I'm really curious to see. Actually, we'll be done recording just as that game's about to start. Uh, but Brian, so what? what's your take on the Dumba injury and the potential Boldy outjury going into next week? You know, I don't think there's a whole lot to say about the Dumba injury. I, like, he was, you know, sort of on the, on the cusp of fantasy relevance for most of the year. A sub-40-point pace. And uh, unlike Neil Pionk, he's not someone we expected to see more than a 40-point pace from. So it's actually been a, a nice season. This has been Dumba's best season uh, since four years ago in 1819, when he paced for in the mid-50s, uh, thanks to a 13% shooting percentage. We were hoping that he might still be a 50-point player, but honestly, uh, I think I'll just use this moment to say what we said at the start of the year, too, which is that I think the days of hoping for Matt Dumba to be more than a 40-point player are behind us. This is a guy who just doesn't seem uh, able to find that gear he had for one, uh, you know, I'll give him credit for that third of a season he played where he was on a 56 point pace, had 12 goals in 32 games. Um, yeah, so Matt Dumba doesn't interest me, but someone who I do have renewed interest in is Jared Spurgeon, who is on a, he's on a run. He's on a six game point streak, three power play points in that time, and 14 points in his last 18 games. And as somebody who has rostered Spurgeon uh, often over the couple seasons before this, I would have killed to get that kind of production for him over that time. He's been quietly a 50-point defenseman this year, and Spurgeon's chipped in some decent power play production, too, with 13 power play points over his 55 games. This is a nice rebound after a few years where Spurgeon was stuck around 40 points, and a big driver of this is a higher-than-usual on-ice shooting percentage for Spurgeon uh, which uh, at 5-on-5, five five, which I think is due to Kirill Kaprizov sort of breaking out again this year, a, a step beyond even where he was last year and Spurgeon being along for a lot of that ride. Uh, but need, need, nonetheless, Spurgeon is still a, a pretty useful fantasy option. And well, it'll be curious to see how well this carries over to next year. As for Matt Boldy, I mean, we've seen him up and we've seen him completely invisible going into this injury. So uh, I guess if you're hoping that, hey, maybe Boldy was playing hurt. You know, he was only playing 12 to 14 minutes a night for the six or seven games leading up to the injury. He had a few points, actually, just before he finally uh, 
left the roster and took some time to recover. So we'll see. Like, that would actually just be my hope about Baldy because he started. He was playing, you know, 16 to 18 minutes, had three shots a night for five consecutive nights. And then after that went stone cold. So that's why I'm not rushing to go get Matt Boldy, but I will keep an eye on him because he and Fiala had some absolute chemistry that they were able to make some sweet music with. And there's still the upside for that, but I'm not thinking it's automatic. Okay. Yeah. I definitely agree with you there. I have Boldy stashed in my IR in the cupful. So I'm hoping that I can, well, it's tough because unless he's really amazing, I don't know if I'm going to hold him and not make any moves all the way until Sunday, but he does have that extra game next week on not so busy of a day. Uh, Let's go to Toronto. Now we're still talking about players coming back from injury and the Leafs had Jake Muzzin return to their decor, which is good for them. Probably also good for their goalies. Shalgren had a decent game yesterday. A lot of people were maybe disappointed that Jack Campbell didn't get the game for them in a critical matchup, but also you had Shalgren available to stream in uh but yeah looking at jake muzzin you know nothing special he scored a goal in his first game back versus florida and no points in his next two games but he's taken a good number of shots good number of hits so again kind of like a jeff petrie you've just got a player that's probably going to help you with peripherals so if you have room you maybe want to look at jake muzzin you know kind of very similar to me to, to mark giordano actually i don't even know who's like better between the two at this point i think they're both on the second power play right or maybe, i don't even know if it matters leaf score a lot of goals both of them get decent enough peripherals i don't know is that even an interesting question brian um Uzzin versus giordano if you want to d from toronto next week well you kind of asked that question when giordano was traded to toronto and you're like could we just expect a jake muzzin type production and the answer was yeah i think that's what you hope for and i think with them both in the lineup i think they're two sides of the same coin you could go muzzin you could go giordano i don't think one is so much more likely to pay off than another i think it really is sort of a 50 50 chance but i mean the good news is there's two of those guys on the blue line in toronto available to you now instead of just one so if that's sta- stacking both of them or if one was gone you can grab the other helps you fill your d on those really busy nights and go for it uh, but i wouldn't expect like muzzin in his play so far this year has looked off. And yeah, he's been dealing with injuries and i can't blame him uh with his concussion history too I feel like that changes the way you play, especially if you're known for being a more physical uh, defender who is used to playing somewhat unafraid. But that would be my concern about Jake Muzzin. So I I think I'd lean Giordano. But again, I don't think you're any smarter for picking up one guy over the other. I think they're both interesting if you have an open D spot. And speaking of interesting, we can't be in Toronto and not talk about this week that Austin Matthews just had. The Leafs played four times this week. I can't imagine there's someone listening. If you're a listener that was in a one-week playoff matchup and you had Austin Matthews and you lost, you really messed up. Like I don't even Oof. know. I don't even know how that could be possible because he had a week of the ages in the four games. He had seven goals. And four assists in four games. I've never seen a week like this before, uh, in the cupful at least. Like the fantasy point, I, you know, it's like we're talking like uh, the production you expect from a player to give you in a month, like an average player. Matthews did it in a week. He's now like, I think, just set a mark of like 50 goals in his last 50 games. It's apparently like the first time that's happened in like forever. Like he's just insane. He's scoring goals. Like you look back on the game log and he scores goals pretty much every game. Like he didn't score against Florida in a game where he had three assists. Then you go back to March 23rd 
third is the last time he didn't score a goal or he had an assist. And then I keep scrolling. Then I guess, yeah, March 2nd, there was a game where he didn't score. Like, this is a guy... It's terrible. I know. We're getting to a point now where, like, just an assist is, like, a brutal game from him. And even, like, just a goal is, like, kind of disappointing because lately he's been scoring two or three goals almost every game. At this point... I, I'm starting to really think of him as like the chalk pick for first overall in fantasy drafts next year, especially in a league like the Cupful where goals are worth more than assists. Maybe if you're in a categories league, it makes more sense to go with McDavid because, you know, he's going to have the higher points upside. But maybe not. I don't know. Austin Matthews is just exploding right now. It's reminding me actually of McDavid at the end of last season, right? Where like he just went on this insane run and McDavid's like doing fine. But Austin Matthews is stealing the show. For some more context about how much Austin Matthews has helped his managers this week, over the last seven days, Austin Matthews in the Cupful has amassed 62 Cupful fantasy points. Usually a good week is about a 300-point week. So Austin Matthews has gotten you 20% of the way there alone. The next highest Cupful points getter is Mitch Marner with 47 points over the last seven days. And the next one's below Marner, uh, Jonathan Huberdeau with 37 points compared to Matthews' 62 Cupful points. And Huberdeau has eight points in four games, and he's still 25 points. Like, that's a sizable gap behind Austin Matthews, who's just been wild. And yes, I was against him in the Cupful this week. Thanks for asking. And I'm assuming you lost, right? Yeah, yeah. It's impossible. Like, this is just, like, insurmountable. (laughs) Unless the whole rest of the team got nothing. Like, how can you not win with Austin Matthews this week? Yeah, exactly. So it's it's almost like, you know, at the start of the year, we're like, if you have first overall and you get McDavid and you don't make the playoffs, that's on you. Uh, this is a this is a similar situation, but even more acute. If you fail to win, even with Matthews on your roster, uh, there's nothing much we can do for you. This is a this is a legendary performance from Austin Matthews this week. We'll see if you can keep it up. And congrats to Austin Matthews for scoring 50 goals over the course of 50 games. Elon, I don't know if you've been following the discourse on Twitter around it, where it's like, oh, it's it's not 50 goals in the first 50 games, so who cares? He's the first player to do. 50 goals in any single season stretch of 50 games since Mario Lemieux did it back in 95, 96. There's a lot of people trying to take away from it. It's insane. Any Anything talking about the Leafs or Matthews just gets toxic so instantly. I advise you to stay out of the comments and replies sections of any tweet regarding Austin Matthews. Here on Keeping Carlson, we laud and appreciate Austin Matthews for the amazing feat. Like, we're looking at Ovechkin finishing his career, and even this year, we're like, this guy is still the best goal scorer in the league. We've seen the torch passed. Austin Matthews is the best goal scorer in the NHL, and I'm excited to see how high he can go. This is crazy. Yeah, it doesn't make sense, this discourse you're talking about. Like, what is there to argue about? Yes, he has 50 goals in his last 50 games. Yes, he also didn't do it from the start of the season. So who cares? Like, what is even this debate about? <laughs> Some people care. Some people think that it's being stretched by, you know, the, the sports networks in Canada because they're so Toronto-centric that they would do anything to celebrate an achievement by, by a Toronto hockey player. Right, and if any other player did the same thing, they wouldn't rejig you know 50 and 50 is the mike bossy sort of thing doing it from the start of the season but come on like we don't actually care about when the 50 game starts well if anything we as a fantasy hockey podcast i care about what you do in the fantasy playoffs right who cares about the start of the season yeah and you know at the start of the season goaltending defense is looser it's easier to score in those early games than it is maybe in the later games so uh all the more power 
to Austin Matthews just carving out. <laughs> anyway, yeah. <laughs> You're just shaking your head that anybody can find something to complain about. I don't about even know what to talk about. Uh, the yeah. thing is also, I'll bet you, Austin, I, I think he said this in interviews too. Like, I'm sure he doesn't care. Like, I'm sure he cares. Like, it's great that he's having this amazing run. But also, in my mind, the only thing to talk about as far as the Leafs go is how they can't get out of the first round of the playoffs. So it's like, score all the goals you want. Let's see now. Like, I think that's going to be the real milestone, even more impressive, is if Austin Matthews could somehow help them get past whoever the Boston or, you know, Tampa or whoever, whatever juggernaut they have to face in round one. Uh, it's going to be another tough one, I'm sure, for them. Like, it always is in that division. Yeah, and to answer your point about, you know, is he the lock for first overall in fantasy? I don't know. But we've had the discussion, you know, is it uh, McDavid, Dreisaitl, McKinnon, right? Like, which of those guys? And Matthews came into this year as a top four guy. Pasternak, Kucherov, um, also in this conversation about just, like, the very top end of your draft. And I think Matthews has at least reached the first or second discussion that Nathan McKinnon was in a couple years back, which is, do I take McDavid or McKinnon first? Now it's, do I take McDavid or Matthews first? And I think those two guys do stand alone above the next group of guys who are still the best of the best, but not quite as much as Matthews or McDavid can do for you in fantasy. Yeah. Okay. So let's look at some breaking news, actually, coming out of Nashville right now. UC Saros day-to-day with a non-COVID illness. So too late for anyone who has Nashville for their game coming up today. But looking to next week, if he doesn't play, then I guess maybe you'll get even some more games out of David Riddick, who's maybe one of the backup goalies who's played the least number of times this season. Like he's been the backup the whole time. It's just Saros plays so much. Riddick hasn't played before today uh, since March 22nd, a game where he led in five goals in a loss to the Kings. Uh before that, I mean, you look at his game, like he's barely played, right? So it's hard to read too much into his season. He's had, I guess, overall, I can tell you, he has an 890 save percentage, which isn't great. Though I'd imagine with a five goals against game, that's only one out of his 11 games. Probably before that game, he was probably above 900, if I were to guess, doing some math in my head here. So Nashville's been really good lately. They've been scoring a ton of goals. I wanted to ask you about some of these players. Well, I guess last week we talked about like your Rijos and Granlins and... Uh, who was the other guy we were talking about? Oh, Janot. And we were trying to rank them. And I believe, I think you put Ryan Johansson first. And that was definitely the right answer. He's been on a crazy tear. And I'd be interested, I think, in Riddick. Like, uh, again, it's maybe it's a bit like a Montembeau. Except Nashville seems to be a better team. They play San Jose Tuesday, Edmonton Thursday, and then Chicago and St. Louis Saturday, Sunday. So you could imagine you... I mean, we also don't know how serious this illness is for Sorrow. So this is all just like off the top of my head here. But uh, we'll see. Obviously, keep it on your radar if you need a goalie for Tuesday. And maybe if you have Sorrows and you just want to get that guaranteed start either way, maybe you take a look and, and grab Riddick. But yeah, he hasn't been that great. Remember there was a time when people talked about him as if he was like the heir apparent, like big star in, in Calgary. I still remember a time when we put him low in more goalies board and people were like making fun of us on Twitter. and Or it was more Reddit, I think. Like people were saying on Reddit, like, oh, you guys blew it on that one. And uh, yeah, Riddick's really fallen off since then. Big save Dave is turned out to not be uh, so much of a big saver. And yeah, there were a couple years at the start of his career in Calgary where he did look good and he looked reliable. Quality start percentage is above 60%. And uh, we also thought that he could challenge Mike Smith, who was not good, just to be very clear, in Calgary. Um, Mike Smith was not good. David Riddick actually outplayed him both in save percentage and number of games in uh, his 
last like good full season in Calgary. He played another. He was less reliable when I think Calgary was trying to hand over the tor- torch completely to David Riddick. And, you know, half the time he played well, half the time he blew up. And uh, it's only been downhill since there for David Riddick. You mentioned Montembeau, Elon, who has just 10 quality starts out of 25 starts this year. That's a 40% quality start percentage. Well, Riddick has started nine games and had just three quality starts. So a 33.3 quality start percentage, which is not good. Um, We had a question on our Discord server about who to start today uh, between a, a number of goalies. And I took DeSmith, and not necessarily because I have a whole lot of faith in DeSmith, the the person who asked was looking for a win, but because DeSmith was playing Riddick, and Riddick has just been so unreliable um, over the last, well, like, three seasons now. So I'm not, uh, I'm not, I wish Riddick amounted to more than he has so far. He's 29 years old at this point. The early promise never really seemed to pan out, and he's really struggled to find his footing. So you're asking, what should you do? Should you go and run and grab David Riddick if Saros is out? I don't think so, actually. I'm no more interested in him than I am in Montembeau. If I could get an equal number of starts between the two, I would actually lean Montembeau, which speaks to where I am on David Riddick. Yeah, uh, I guess. Uh, so Nashville has called up Connor Ingram. So depending on how Riddick does today, maybe R- Ingram is someone you could look at for next week. Or like I said, like this is just an illness, right? So maybe Saros, like, you know, Sidney Crosby missed a game with an illness earlier this week. And he was back the next game. So it could just be like a bug going around and not too much to worry about one way or the other. But yeah, I guess uh, let's just say what Ryan Johansson did. It hasn't been what Austin Matthews has done, but not too shabby in his last last uh, four games, Raijo has five goals and two assists. He's scored in three straight games now. And so this is a guy that was available in a lot of leagues as a free agent and could turn out to be one of these ads that ends up being like a MVP ad. There's always that player, right, that you grab right for your fantasy playoffs. And then he like ends up outperforming half your team. And it's like, this is the move that maybe clinched it for me. And right now it's looking pretty good for Johansson. Uh, he's playing with Philip Forsberg, who's obviously the big star in Nashville. So that's good. Also, so Raijo's been on the top power play with Roman Yosi, who's probably actually the biggest big star in Nashville. I guess that's, you know, arguable. Uh, either way, uh, obviously, if he's still available, you want him because Nashville plays four times next week. I dropped Jesper Bratt for uh, Raijo and, and Ryan Johansson didn't let me down. Uh, and then I guess as far as other people on Nashville to look at, I guess you got to kind of look at Philip Tomasino just because if he's playing with Ryan Johansson and Philip Forsberg, he's a rookie that had a big pedigree coming into the year. He hasn't done too much. So I don't know. I just wanted to throw out another name there in case like Ryan Johansson is uh, not available. Though I guess you're probably just going to go with like a Mikhail Granlund first, even though he's been a little bit colder. Well, last time we talked about Johansson and Grenland, we said, well, you want the guy, like they've been swapping turns on that top line with Forsberg and Duchesne, and right now it's Johansson, so you want him and Grenland off that top line is almost useless, except that he is on the power play. And now that advice is kind of moot because the Predators have have split Duchesne and Forsberg and Granlin gets Duchesne and Johansson gets Forsberg and they're both still on the top power play unit together. So yeah, Elon, I think I would still prefer Mikel Granlin to Philip Tomasino just because I think his even strength situation is not 
much less than what Tomasino gets. Plus, he gets that power play time on top of it. I mean, Granlund having himself a season. He's on a 60-point pace, 52 points in 69 games. This is the best we've seen him since he left Minnesota. So this is good news for Mikhail Granlund, like, overall, that we can still see this from him. And it's good news that he gets to play with Matt Duchesne. Uh, Tomasino's a good, like, deeper look. But yeah, I would prefer to just have uh, Granlund uh, after Johansson and then Tomasino. Okay, that makes sense. And I guess to complete the set, it's been Ellie Tolvanen playing with the Granlin and Duchesne pair, depending how deep your league is and how far you want to go. Uh, okay, maybe let's do some cold streaks right now, Brian. I've got a bunch of hot streak players I wanted to run by you, but first I guess we have to clear some space off of our rosters. So let me know if any of these bigger names are people that people should be worried about. This one I'm going to assume you're going to say no, but I have to point out that Adam Fox, last year's uh, Norris Trophy winner, is not like doing so well at the moment. In his last five games, Fox has only managed a single assist. Uh, He also, in the last game, didn't do anything against the Rangers. He didn't have a point. He did have two shots, but no hits or blocks. So, you know, sometimes he's at least good for a block or two or five, actually, versus Pittsburgh randomly. But aside from that, yeah, he's more usually like zero or one. Uh, But yeah, should we read anything into this uh, really unfortunate cold stretch from Adam Fox? Or is this kind of like the Leon Dreisaitl cold streak from this week, which I'm sure was like super... Super disappointing for anyone relying on Drysidle, but obviously, when you, if you're still going, if you somehow survived it and you're going to next week, you're not dropping Drysidle, and I'd imagine you're also not considering dropping Adam Fox, right? Exactly. I mean, it's crazy that Adam Fox is only below a point per game because of this one point in his last five games, but he's still getting the minutes. He's still getting the power play deployment. He's still putting a couple shots on net per game. So I'm not seeing any reason to freak out not that you could freak out like you have adam fox you deal you deal with it you're not gonna let him go like you wouldn't let go leon dry and you just hope he steps up more for you in the coming week that's all you can do okay and then i want to go to the islanders i know we've talked about him a lot but like we keep kind of saying he has the talent i don't know like it's just so disappointing that matt barzell has fallen off the way he has and islanders actually have a decent schedule next week they play tuesday thursday but then friday sunday so two off day games so that would be a reason to hold on to a matt barzell but man he's now pointless in his last four with not even more than one shot in any of those games so basically anyone who had barzell last week he he did nothing for you laid an egg you got absolutely nothing. If you're somehow made it forward, it's probably very tough for you to want to hold this guy. Before that, he went on a little run. So I guess it's always possible that he'll jump back. But like we've discussed, clearly playing with Parisi and Wallstrom is not the best situation. And I feel like for as long as that lasts, I'm not going to expect too, too much. And like maybe it's not like drop Barzal like for anyone. But if I saw like a Brock Nelson or an Anders Lee or maybe even like a Peugeot in free agency, then I'd start to wonder like if I could get a different Islander that has the same schedule. I don't know. It's just it's, uh, it's a disappointing streak right now, especially with the low shots. Low shots and that low ice time continues. The last time we were like, what is going on with Matt Barzell? We pointed out that before getting injured, he was averaging almost 19 minutes a night. Since coming back from his injury, Matt Barzell is averaging barely 16 minutes a night. Or I shouldn't say barely. 16 minutes and 21 seconds a night. And that's That's not good. 24 shots in 17 games, 11 points in those 17 games. He's not really doing anything. 
at all. Thank goodness he picked up those three consecutive multi-point games, uh, two against Columbus for what's that for what that's worth when, you know, we're trying to say like, has a guy really stepped up if he steps up against a team that has had the goaltending and defensive woes that Columbus has had? This is, uh, this has been a weird stretch for Matt Barzell, and I still don't think we're seeing him at 100%. I think that's what his ice time points to. I think that's what his shot rates point to. And that's why I, I would say, like, hey, if you need to cut bait, you have permission to cut bait on Matt Barzell, although he is probably going to become one of the free agents in your league that has the most upside to have a big game. And uh, if the Islanders do have off-night games through the rest of the year, He's probably the most attractive stream out there because you hope he hits. Uh, he's got the talent to do it. But I have uh, a lot of concerns that Matt Barzal has not returned to normal since being injured. And that's a reason to not give him as long a leash as you might otherwise have. Yeah, maybe you can get away with dropping him to start the week since he plays Tuesday, Thursday on those busy days and then try to get him back for Friday, Sunday. But it would be hard for me to hold Barzal, especially if I, my lineup is like overflowing on Tuesday, Thursday, and I could drop him, not even lose a game. And let's say if I can grab even like a Brendan Gallagher, like one of these boring guys that plays Monday, Wednesday, give me the two games and then I'll try to get him back, especially if you have like someone like a Pajot out there, who, by the way, six points in his last four games. Pajot has been great. Maybe he's even more appealing than Barzal, so you don't even care. You know, so depending on who you can get back for the end of the week. It's maybe doesn't feel like such a loss to lose Barzal, though. I thought the same about Jesper Bratt, and he had a good game after I dropped him. So if you're like me, then as soon as you drop Barzal, he's going to have a multi-point game. But it'll be on a day that you may not have played him anyway, right? Uh, then over on Washington, here's another guy that I think I want to give permission for people to drop, and that's TJ Oshie, who uh, the Caps are actually just finished their game against Boston today. They won 4-2. to And another pointless game for Oshie. So this is a guy that is ice-cold, and I feel like, you know, for a lot of the year, he's been disappointing more so just because he's been injured so much. But if we're also at a point now where he's barely getting any points, then why are you holding him? And also Washington, again, another boring schedule next week. So again, we're going to talk about some hot streak players. And I feel like Oshi, unless you disagree with me, Brian, seems like someone that's not worth holding at this point. It's very much what have you done for me lately time in fantasy. And yeah, it's been a while since Oshie has done a whole lot of anything for you. This has been his, his worst offensive season uh, in terms of point and pace. I mean, it's sort of on par with one that came four or five years ago. But really, this is the low watermark of his career, just barely managing a 51-point pace. Uh, usually you can count on him for a 55 to 60-point pace, so it's not a big fall but there is sort of that line of relevancy that you fall below if you're not getting 55 points or more. Uh, oh, she's also taking uh, one of the lowest shots per game uh, tallies, totals, rates of his career. So uh, I- I'm trying to dig into his numbers. I mean, he's seeing a little less ice time than usual. So that hasn't helped him um, at five on five. And I think on the power play, uh, yeah, he's, he has just eight points in the 34 games he's played, which is uh, lower than I would like to see from TJ Oshie. Um, I, like, I'm trying to find sort of the smoking gun in Oshie's numbers to explain. And I think it's just that his on-ice shooting percentage is 8% this year compared to previous years where it's been up closer to uh, 11, 10 or 11%. And I think that's probably the difference in TJ Oshie's production this year. And maybe that's because of all the time Backstrom was out of the lineup and the Caps were sort of missing um, those two solid top six centermen between Kuznetsov and Backstrom, missing one of them might have hurt Oshie. Again, this isn't a huge fall from grace. I mean, he had a great season last year that 
might not have totally been sustainable. He's had a few good seasons recently, but a, a big fall for Oshi and someone that I think you can probably let go of to try and juice your roster. Yeah, and by the way, you say like maybe his numbers were down because Backstrom was away for a while, but also when Backstrom was back, he's still been kind of away in terms of like the Backstrom that he used to enjoy playing with. So probably that affects things as well. Or maybe last year he played with Kuznetsov, right? But now Backstrom seems to be declining, or at least this year. Maybe he could have a bounce back at some point. But yeah, too bad. Uh, Okay, let's go to some hot streaks now of players that might be available to you. Unfortunately, it's annoying, Brian, because normally I could just tell you who are the hot players. But now it's extra tricky with the schedule and this like short-term view like Ottawa only plays three games next week on the busy days so I don't know if it's worth it to grab this guy but we talked about him last week we have to once again talk about Matthew Joseph who is available probably still in a lot of leagues not as many as last week but he continues to get points almost every single game he did go pointless against the Rangers on Saturday but to be fair Ottawa did only score one goal in that game before that he had a huge streak of points in four straight games seems like he's still been playing on the top line I believe that uh, Drake Batherson is scheduled to come back today so we'll see if they put Batherson because even when Batherson Batherson was in the lineup before, before he got this most recent injury. Uh, Batherson was playing on a separate line with Stutzla. So we'll have to see like how the lines ch- shake out and check out gamedaytweets.com and click on the sends or follow at game day lines on Twitter and you'll get the latest Ottawa lines. Or actually at this point, when you're listening to the game from yesterday, which is today, confusing, right? will have been over. And so you can go to Frozen Tools and see the actual lines that happened and not just the tweeted lines. All that to say... As long as Matthew Joseph is on that top line playing with Kachuk and Josh Norris, I think you want him, if you could fit him in the lineup. He was even playing on the top power play in that last game against the Rangers. So it's like the perfect deployment. And I just feel like there's no reason not to grab him if you could fit him in. Yeah, if you can fit him in. Our our question about Matthew Joseph last week was he had just come off seven points in two games. And, you know, is that going to be enough to earn him top line deployment? Clearly it has been. He stayed up there. We said if he stayed on the top line, you should be interested. Now he's added top power play to that resume. So yeah, you should be interested in Matthew Joseph if he stays there. The only concerning thing, Elon, is since April 1st, his uh, his point counts in each game have been four, then three, then two, oh, no. then one, then zero. So he <laughs> might lose you a point on your next game or the cycle can start anew at another four-point game. I can't wait to find out. This is a hard-crunching analytics right here (laughs) maybe uh in the next game he'll score on his own net and that'll be the decline and then the next game he'll get scratched and then that'll be it but i I don't think so i think he's going to be fine as long as he's in that spot josh norris by the way he's turning into like a huge superstar right like it'll be really fun to talk about him in the summer i think we've already discussed him a lot but he's got 10 points in his previous eight games going into today uh so yeah he's centering that top line we already knew that brady kachuk was like kachuk was some people were drafting like super high in all leagues next year like norris and batherson both looking really good but if norris is going to be the one staple to kachuk then uh, he has a good chance to keep this up potentially okay so let's do it some more hot streaks. There's just some defensemen that people might be looking at over in St. Louis. Everyone's scoring in St. Louis. It's been a sh- like anyone who like loaded up on blues. They had a couple bad weeks in terms of schedule like a couple weeks ago. And so like I, as someone who had a buy, was like super lucky to be able to grab some blues like a Rob Thomas. And anyone who dropped a Rob Thomas, like it made sense why you did it at the time when the blues were only playing two games for a couple of weeks. But now they've had this like huge playoffs in terms of schedule and also in terms of production. Rob Thomas is scoring goals every game. And Justin Falk is scoring goals every game. 
Like, Nick Letty has actually been pretty good since he's arrived in St. Louis. So if you can't get Justin Falk, you could also look at Letty, who seems to be taking over whatever Tori Krug was doing, which wasn't that much. But Letty, you know, is able to also do not that much, but still enough, like, a, uh, you know, power places every now and then. And But Falk, man, at this point, I think he's your top defenseman to roster in St. Louis. Like, f- clearly now, and maybe even in drafts next year, I might be more interested in Falk than Tori Krug. I'd be interested to hear what you think about that. And then also, yeah, Rob Thomas at this point. I don't know. Like he's a point per game player at this point in the year and just keeps on producing game in, game out. Now when it counts in the fantasy playoffs, uh, I he'll be someone that'll be very interesting. Kind of like a Josh Norris, actually. That would be a fun conversation of Norris versus Rob Thomas, maybe, for next year. And then for your like players that might be available to add in deeper leagues, look at Barbashev, who, you know, was had that crazy hot streak earlier in the year, then totally disappeared. But now he's on a six-game point streak. So St. Louis once again plays four games next week. And I've just thrown some names of the myriad of players you may want to add. But yeah, Justin Falk, Rob Thomas, Barbashev are the three I'm spotlighting here. So any thoughts on these three? Okay, let's start. I'll try and go in that order. So Justin Falk, nine points in the last five games, five goals, four assists, uh, one power play point, and just 11 shots. So you know what I'm going to say here, Elon, with five goals on his last 11 shots, Justin Falk is shooting 45.5%. So that, 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 that won't continue. And that's been a huge source of his points, right? You take away those goals, which honestly, I think you reasonably can. If Justin Falk has only taken 11 shots, maybe he should score on maybe one of them, uh, one out of every 10 shots, and that would still be shooting above his usual (laughs) shooting percentage. So take those away. You've got four points in five games, uh, which is still good, right? Still really good. (laughs) Still relevant. Uh, And as you mentioned, the Blues seem to be running sort of a 1A, 1B power play situation right now that uh, Nick Letty is also making use of. Uh, You actually, I think you asked about him last week, Elon. You're like, Brian, should we even mention Nick Letty? And I was like, no. And sure enough, he's shown us five game point streak uh, and also a streak of Uh, I'm just counting now, six consecutive games with exactly one shot on goal, which is like classic Nick Letty. This guy is so boring, Uh, but it's really nice to see the points come for him. And uh, I I don't know. I I don't expect his production to last so much as I expect Falk. Like, of course, I would choose Justin Falk. Elon, I also don't know. What's the latest on Tori Krug? I don't know. Whatever. You're just you don't even care. That's where you are on Tori Krug. Yeah, I think Justin Falk is someone I'd want over Krug, even if both were in the lineup. Maybe if Nick Letty gets pushed off of a power play, though Letty's had a lot of success and Krug hasn't. So it'll be interesting to see what St. Louis does when Krug comes back. Yeah, so Krug, uh, there's no timetable for his return as of six days ago. He was on the ice for the morning skate uh, on, I think, Friday or Thursday. So uh, anyway, his return isn't imminent, which means Falk and Letty are both interesting as guys playing half the power on a 1A, 1B power play. Both units are good. And one of those units, of course, features Robert Thomas, who has three power play points over his last nine which have helped him get 17 total points over his last nine. Six goals and 11 assists for Robert Thomas. He is also shooting 40%, six goals on 15 shots. Okay, but Brian, like any time I talk about a player who's scoring every single game, I'd imagine it'll be a high shooting percentage. These players aren't taking 11 shots per game. So, yeah. No, exactly. But the, but the, but sometimes if they're taking three or four shots per game, it's a little more 
reasonable oh, than I if see. they're taking one and a half shots per game, which is what Robert Thomas is doing. And I guess Falk is doing a, a little better than that. But these guys aren't shooters. Robert Thomas hasn't been all season long. He is an effective converter, though. Like, let's give Robert Thomas credit for that. Um, his his conversion rates, he's, he's like a, a picky shooter. I guess. And when he shoots, he succeeds. Uh, he's got a 20% shooting percentage this year up from his career number before this, which is closer to 12%. So we'll see if he's found another level. I think, I think it's a mix. I think he's, he's over shooting. Like he, he's scoring on more shots than he deserves to. But I think Robert Thomas has also stepped up his game going into next year. The big question is, is Vladimir Tarasenko still around. I think that's going to impact Thomas's fortunes a lot. I think it's been really great for him to work with Tarasenko. And I mean, the Blues won't necessarily, they'll have a big hole, not an unfillable hole left by Tarasenko. And Thomas could still find himself in decent deployment next year without Tarasenko. But it would be ideal if he got to keep working with this guy that he's had so much success with. Uh, scoring above a point per game pace. So great job, Robert Thomas, who, yeah, went cold for a while, but this has been sort of his shtick, right? And when Robert Thomas is quiet, he's really unhelpful to your fantasy roster. Uh, But when he's hot, which he has been more often than not this year, he's super helpful. So congrats to anybody who weathered whatever downs there were with Thomas or uh, grabbed him at an opportune moment. And Elon, your other guy that you mentioned was Barbashev, who had been super quiet for a long time to the point that after so much hype at one point of the year, he was a free agent in pretty much every league I was in. And of course, he's followed that up with a huge, uh, a huge run lately that you mentioned. So all these guys make uh, quality ads. You know, I think we're just talking about, are they really good? Um, yeah, these guys are pretty good. I think a lot of St. Louis has been overachieving lately. Uh, like if you look, they scored seven goals against Minnesota. Of course, that's not going to happen every game. Uh, the team shooting percentage is a little high over the last little while. Um, so, you know, these obviously these points aren't going to continue to come this way, but good on you. I think the bottom line is Falk is a good guy to have. Letty is a good guy to have. And Barbashev, if he's still available, could be a good guy to have. Robert Thomas is definitely not available. Yeah, okay. Uh, but classic, I guess, wet blanket, Brian, but I guess it, it has to be said, What do you want me right? to say? Yeah, what are you supposed to do? Like, any player who's on... Everyone in this list, I'm going to tell you, you're going to say they're scoring ahead of what they should do because I'm going to be telling you a bunch of players who have, like, point per game over their past stretch. And obviously no one that... Like, the whole point is I'm, yeah, bringing up players who are having hot streaks that we wouldn't necessarily expect them to be this hot. So, yeah. It's just it, always fun to look at these guys in St. Louis. Like, really, obviously, like you say, has been overachieving in terms of just scoring so many goals per game. But always nice to have a player on a team scoring a ton of goals versus having a player on a team that's like not scoring at all that happens to be on a hot streak but you know like you know a seattle guy that's getting point per game over the last three games i'd be like less confident that they'd be able to keep it up i guess yeah i mean like what else, what are my options like this is the setup of our <laughs> show right where you say this guy's really hot brian what do you think what am i supposed to say i could i could say yeah he's hot good job way to way to point him out or i can point out why he won't continue to be this hot but he's still pretty good Okay, fair. We should flip sometime. I wonder what I would say. I'd probably be a, maybe a little bit more of like the, yeah, he's awesome. <laughs> I don't know. He's been and then so good. what? <laughs> and then what would happen the rest of the show? I don't know. Well, let's try it out. Well, here you you have my next question here about Calgary. Want to want to cue it up to me, and then we'll, and then I'll try it out. I'll try the Brian side. Okay. Well, Noah Hannafin with four assists against Seattle. 
has been also, by the way, on Mike Cup full opponents team this week, having the week of his life, now has 11 points in his last nine games, which has helped Hannafin get up to a 44-point pace on the season. Elon, Hannafin has been someone that you have been interested in uh, a lot, I'd say, over the last two years, as someone who you've always been like, yeah, there could be some upside there that's untapped. I mean, he's still young. He's just 25 years old. Uh, his best career season is a 35-point pace. Uh, he still uh, appears to be on the second unit in Calgary. So, like, there's not any uh, amazing bumps in deployment. So, Elon is 45-point pace and 11 points in nine games. Noah Hannafin, for real? Uh, well, those are, like, two separate things, right? <laughs> but uh, I, he is someone I've been interested in. I mean, there were articles last summer, right, about how Hannafin was, like, ready to step in. Like, Giordano's going to be gone, and now it's Hannafin's time to take over the team. And I remember thinking that maybe he was going to be the one to get the top power play job over Rasmus Anderson. Because if you recall, like, Rasmus Anderson really didn't succeed in that role last year. And then, like, that didn't happen. Like, Hannafin has not taken over the top power play, which, of course, caps his upside. But a 44-point pace is something that should be doable by a second power play guy on a team like Calgary that scores so many goals. Like you look at like this line of Lindholm, Kachuk, and Gaudreau have just been insane. I was against Elias Lindholm this week. I was so happy when Calgary's game ended yesterday, and I knew that Brandon was not going to get any more games from Elias Lindholm because it just seemed like every game he's scoring a goal. And yeah, then Hannafin sometimes there to cash in. So... I think it's kind of surprising to me that Hannafin like hasn't had a good season like this because it does seem like as a top pairing defenseman getting all of these minutes on a high scoring team. I guess Calgary hasn't been a high scoring team so much over the past few years. I think if Calgary stays the way they have been like this year, next year in terms of like the big names getting all these points, then I don't see why he can't be like a 40 to 45 point defenseman, which is better than what he used to be, which was totally unrosterable. But at the same time, like 11 points his last nine games for us versus Seattle. Uh, how can I not be the wet blanket of Brian and say, like, that's not going to keep up? But he's he's interesting to me as, like, just someone that I think you can rely on to give you, like, consistent half-point-per-game production with upside for a bigger game than maybe some of these other guys we've talked about. Like, I think he's more likely to give you a multi-point game than, like, a Muzzin on the Leafs, right? Like, I yeah. think there's a better chance that Hannafin's going to do it. Yeah, and I think I think you nailed it on a lot of what you said about Hennepin. Like, I think we can expect this 40 to 45 point pace from him the rest of the way because he's now on a much more offensive team. If you look at his on-ice expected goals and actual goals numbers, they're both markedly up above what they ever have been, whether he's his time in Calgar- Calgary or Carolina. Hennepin's doing much better. In, in fact, he's actually seen... Uh, cut of one minute of time on ice at five on five per night but that extra offense is happening while he's on the ice and he's actually shooting more than he's ever shot before in his career and even with that cut in ice time he's still set a career high so far in shots per game Uh, his shots per 60 is for sure going to be a career high we'll see if he can keep above 2.2 shots per game the rest of the way to bring that home too Uh, 11 power play points from the second unit over 71 games is perfectly reasonable Uh, so yeah i think hannafin has just benefited from a much better team around him this year and getting to play i talked about how that lindholm goudreau and kachuk line is just creating offense like mad when they're on the ice together. And Hannafin gets to spend a lot of time with them, so he gets to benefit. And for as long as that's happening, a 40 to 45-point pace is uh, maybe something we can come to expect from him. However, bringing back the classic Brian here, not another 11 points in his next nine games. 
Yeah. I, I, I'd hope that goes without saying, but I guess you never know. I guess you have newer listeners. We actually had someone tweeted us a question that I thought for sure was like, come on, give me a break. Uh, it was uh, Phil Johansson three days ago asked, uh, at Kevin Carlson, considering dropping Rasmus Anderson for Michael Stone, am I crazy? And like, I just wanted to respond being like, yeah, you're crazy. But then I thought, I guess I should actually see what Michael Stone is doing. And uh, you know what? I, obviously, he asked the question for a reason. Out of nowhere, Michael Stone, who I'm sure most people don't even realize is still on Calgary. He hasn't played the majority of the year. He's been injured. But he came back uh, at the start of April, and he's got four points in his last four games. Actually, I answered the question saying, like, yeah, I see he's hot. I'd still go with Rasmus Anderson because he has better deployment. Uh, then Michael Stone went cold against San Jose. So I thought, eh, yeah, see, good advice by me. Pat on the back. Then uh, yesterday against Seattle, he scored a goal, a power play goal from Michael Stone. And he had 50% of the team's power play time. So uh, obviously that's not something that will last. I guess just it happened to be a game where the second power play got a lot of time. But I don't know. I, again, in your deeper leagues, obviously I think we like Hannafin over Michael Stone. But especially since Stone seems to be good for peripherals also, I guess you could put him in the Braden McNabb category, right? Like someone who's great for perifs and randomly is getting points now. And... I don't know. Like, and Vegas and Calgary both score a lot of goals. Maybe like Vegas generally hasn't, but maybe now with Pacioretty and Stoneback, they'll go back to being a high-scoring team. So I don't know. Is it more, Can I ask you Michael Stone versus Brady McNabb, or is it basically just like a coin flip between the two? I think it's a great comparison. I think Brady McNabb is less likely to be scratched than Michael Stone. So I'll take Michael Stone. Good but one. the comparison is great because they both paced for 16 points last year, even though Michael Stone only played 21 games. Like Michael Stone, if you combine this season with the three before it has not played a full 82 games over the last four seasons. Uh, he's comes up like 20 games short. So we haven't seen a lot of Michael Stone. I don't think we're about to be surprised by anything we see, uh, but that peripheral floor is nice. And he has at least two shots in his last four outings. So that's nice to see. And it looks like Calgary spread their D pairings at five on five, like uh, allotted ice time pretty evenly between them all, which would bode well for Stone being able to continue putting up peripherals. I still prefer McNabb because, yeah, he's more likely to actually be in the lineup than Michael Stone. Uh, but yeah, here's a deep cut from someone who's been producing lately. Okay, well, Brian, I had a lot of fun actually playing the Brian on the last question. Do you want to throw any other of these players on the docket at me? Okay, but like also it wasn't totally fair because Noah Hannafin was reasonable. Or I guess, well, I don't know. I was trying like Noah Hannafin was someone who you could be positive about because he has had a better season. All right, well, I didn't mean it as a competition. I just meant that okay. I, I, but yeah, throw it, throw me one that's hard. Throw me a hard one then. Okay. Uh, well, I don't know. I'm not going to do that to you. I'm just going to throw the next guy that I see on the list who I'm comfortable talking about because we spoke about him last week. Gustav Forsling continues to put up some great numbers. On last week's show, we remarked that he was coming off a sudden appearance, uh, throwing pucks on net like never before. At that point, he had uh, four points over two games uh, towards the tail end of last week. Uh, so three of those were goals, and he took 10 shots on goal. So it wasn't like we weren't even mad at him for scoring three goals on like five or six shots. Three goals on 10 shots? Okay. All right. Not going to keep up, but also not so insane like Justin Falk's numbers. Anyway, we were watching to see if, Gust if Gustav Forsling could keep that up this week, and he did. He has 15 shots over his last four games, picked up two points against Nashville on Saturday night, and uh, was pointless for a couple games before that, but had three points on the week over four games. So, Elon, where are you 
with Gustav Forsling because his time on ice hasn't changed. His deployment hasn't changed, but it looks like suddenly he has the green light to shoot the puck as much as he wants. This is a side of Forsling that we've never seen before. How excited are you by it? Yeah, I mean, there's the fact that he's shooting. There's also the fact that Florida scores like four goals at least every game and sometimes more like seven goals when they're playing against Toronto. Uh, And Forsling's playing 20 plus minutes. So he's on the ice for a third of a game where the team is scoring like at least four goals. So just, just by being there, you probably have a decent chance of getting a random assist. But then you throw in the fact that he's actually taking some shots. Uh, Then you have a chance of either the shot going in or a juicy rebound going to Barkov or Giroux or Hubert Doe or one of the countless superstars on this amazing team. So, yeah, I just think that he's a great guy to roster. Florida next week goes Tuesday and then Friday, Sunday. So maybe you don't need to grab Forsling just for that Tuesday game, but he'd be a great late week grab, though at that point you could probably also grab a forward. So you'll have to see what you can do since Friday and Sunday are off day games. One guy on Florida, Brian, that I guess I was going to ask you about is a forward that I also dropped. I dropped Jesper Bratt in the couple, which was a tough drop. And I also dropped Anthony. Anthony Duclair, who I've, again, like a free agent ad that I've loved for the majority of the season. He's been so amazing, but I had to, you know, drop someone. I wanted to grab Johansson, like I said, and I also wanted to grab Craig Anderson to get a goalie start, and I am getting another Craig Anderson start today. Now that I'm, like, ahead in my matchup and I'm probably going to beat Brandon without needing this Anderson start, maybe I'd prefer to have Duclair back since he does play that Friday-Sunday next week. But it's not like he did anything since I dropped him to make me, like, regret the drop, right? Like, he played... uh, on Friday, Saturday, since I dropped him, and he had no points in either of those games. He did take five shots yesterday versus Nashville. It looks like Florida has been playing around with their lines a little bit. Like, for the longest time, it was Duclair for Haggy and Barkov. Looks like in this last game, I don't know, looks like I'm looking at frozen tools here. I see for some of the game, Huberdeau, Barkov, and Duclair was a line. But it looks like that was only for like four minutes. There must have been some time when Barkov was on another line. So all that said, Duclair... Not playing till Friday makes me think he's droppable for someone who, like, wouldn't even necessarily fit him into their lineup on Tuesday. But at the same time, kind of like uh, on the Islanders, where we're saying Barzal is probably droppable, but then you want him to get him back for a Friday, Sunday. I think Duclair is kind of in the same situation. Yeah, exactly. And he sort of reified. How about that? Have we ever said that on the show? Uh, Duclair has reified his fantasy value when it can was I, looking can I get like a was... definition on that. Oh my, I think it's like uh, sort of re- reinforced. Okay. Maybe he's... I'm, maybe I'm embarrassing myself. Actually. I feel like it's a word that I've only seen in academic papers. Uh, let's see. Look at this it's... fancy guy who reads academic papers. Oh yeah. No, I don't think, uh, to regard something abstract as if it were a concrete material thing. So he has reified his, what was, this, what was the thing? <laughs> no, I think I should have said reinforced his okay. fantasy value with a five-shot game uh, against Nashville on Saturday night. Before that, he had a lot of games where he was basically getting just one or two shots a night, and his ice time has dropped. You know, this is a guy who was seeing... Uh, top six minutes for a chunk of the first start of the season in that 16 to 18 minute range. Lately, he's fallen down Verhege too, right? All these depth Panthers have kind of disappeared when it seemed like just putting on a Panthers jersey every night could get you a point. Even if you're on your couch at home, uh, Duclair now is at 12 to 14 minutes a night. 
uh, points only here and there. But yeah, those five shots are pretty appealing. And he had a decent chunk of power play time in the last game too. Still has good line mates. So I think he does fit into that Barzal category. In fact, I think I'd rather Duclair than Barzal if they are both available come that Friday game. And you can try and add one to, to add a couple more games to your team. I would definitely prefer, I'm going to say definitely prefer Duclair over Barzal because the ice time isn't that different. And at least I feel like Duclair has some shooting upside and the team has some big scoring upside. Yeah, and I'd probably want someone playing with Barkov over someone playing with Parisi and Wallstrom. So that's another good reason. Brian, I got an episode title for you. Ready? Ria Fiala. That could be the... If only we had talked about Kevin Fiala. Well, we still can. <laughs> well, Boldy's back, apparently. So it's official now. Boldy's going to play today. So Fiala gets his line mate back, which is obviously good for him. So there you go. Now we've officially talked about Fiala. <laughs> I, don't think I'm, I don't think I'm going for it. All right. But uh, yeah, I well, appreciate the help. I do. Okay. I'll be curious to know what you come up with instead. Uh, also, by the way, some other news. Batherson's not playing today, for what it's worth. I know I said before that he might come back today. Guess not. That's a shame. Uh, by the way, since we're on Florida, we should probably also mention that Bobrovsky has been very bad and Spencer Knight has been decent. So now all of a sudden going into next week, again, the schedule is Tuesday, Friday, Sunday. So if you have Bobrovsky and if like Spencer Knight gets the call on Tuesday, how do you hold Bobrovsky, right? In an important matchup, you got to let him go because he's not going to play until Friday at the least. And maybe not even if, if Spencer Knight has a good game against Anaheim, which isn't generally too hard to do. No, no offense to the Ducks fans out there. Uh, I don't know. Like, uh, I don't know what's happened here with Bobrovsky. Like, he struggled, you know, when he started in Florida. Then this year, it's been, like, a huge renaissance for him. But now, you know, now struggling down the stretch, it'll be really interesting to see what they do come playoff time, right? Because what if Bobrovsky's cold and Spencer Knight is hot? Remember last year in the playoffs, Spencer Knight got into a game. I think he did really well. And then, you know, but then they ended up getting eliminated by Tampa. It was just, like, a bad draw for them to go against the eventual cup champion in the first round. Uh, but, yeah, it's an interesting situation in net here. And I'd be having my finger over the drop button for Bobrovsky right now. It would be nice to know like what the plan is for Tuesday because that would also be a great opportunity for Bobrovsky to start bouncing back in a home start against Anaheim. But we don't know. So if you need to plan ahead, Brian, I don't know. How, how closely would you be holding on to Bobrovsky or would you be willing to let him go at this point? Yeah, I might be willing to let him go. It feels crazy, though, especially if your league is a wins league, because even though Bobrovsky has been terrible, an 887 save percentage since the All-Star break, uh, he's won 11 out of 13 decisions. So uh, if you can win 11 out of 13 decisions while putting up an 887 save percentage, then you are helpful to a fantasy manager who uh, wants wins and saves. Of course, the question is, are the Panthers going to play Bobrovsky? Yeah. I think they will. I think, honestly, it's probably Florida's preference that he finds his game again before the playoffs. And the only way to find your game is to play and find it. And Knight has been good, not infallible. He's had his stumbles, too. But it does look good that he's come off a couple wins, including a huge one against Toronto, when the Leafs actually only managed just 21 shots against Spencer Knight. Although uh, that's not counting the 14 shots they took on Bobrovsky, who only stopped 10 of them. Knight came in and uh, backstopped them to a very surprising, thrilling, what was it, a 7-6 win or something like that. In uh, I think it came down to the shootout, if I'm remembering right. I'm sure Leafs fans and Panthers fans have that imprinted on their brains. So Knight has been good, and Knight bailed them out, and I don't think that goes unnoticed. Um, this does feel familiar to me, though, 
Elon, you mentioned in the playoffs, they took turns, right? Uh, Bobrovsky started three, I think Knight started four in the Tampa series out of the seven. Uh, But Bobrovsky faltered down the stretch last year, too. I'm just looking at, uh, you know, the end of April, which is different than the end of April this year, because we were on a different schedule last year, but he was an 879 um, over a seven game stretch uh, towards the end of the season. So Bobrovsky, I guess, seems to fall <laughs> at this point of the year. And I think uh, ideally, honestly, I think Florida is still going to alternate between the two is where you land. And if you're looking for wins, great. If you're looking for save percentage, I think you still just roll the dice with him, especially if your other options are guys like Riddick and Montembeau or Eric Comrie even. Uh, I'd still rather Bobrovsky to a lot of other guys who really just give you a chance at a good start. Yeah, I definitely don't disagree with you. It's more just I'm not confident in Bobrovsky starting. So it's like you have to take that risk of holding on and hoping that he plays on Tuesday. Yes. By the way, another team that has two off day games next week, like the Panthers, is the Columbus Blue Jackets. They have uh, no games until Wednesday. So maybe you wait on grabbing your Columbus player. But then they do play Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday. So this is rare for next week. you got to be looking at these off day teams. And with Columbus, I guess the guy that's right now exciting again is Jack Roslovic, who just scored a hat trick and an assist in Saturday's 5-4 overtime win over the Red Wings, including, of course, the overtime winner, assisted by Wierenski and Gustav Nyquist. Uh, absent from the score sheet in that game was Oliver Bjorkstrand. Five goals for Columbus, and Bjorkstrand can't get a single point. Brian, Oliver Bjorkstrand, does he suck? Yeah, he's been really inconsistent this year. And uh, we've told you, I mean, we went deep into Bjorkstrand in January and February saying like, hey, we're looking to see who he plays with at center. And if the shots keep coming, more often than not, The shots have kept coming, but Bjorkstrand is also, uh, you know, we said he needs someone who can really be that two-way support in the center of his line. And he's playing with Cole Sillinger and Jake Voracek, who are, uh, neither one is, I mean, Cole Sillinger's like young and still growing. So I don't know exactly what he's going to be, but he's 18 years old. Uh, And if he grows up to be like his father, Mike Sillinger, then maybe he can be a responsible two-way sentiment, but I don't think he's there yet. And Jacob Voracek is not known for his defensive acumen. And I think that really hurts Oliver Bjorkstrand. And there's actually not with Boone Jenner, not in the lineup. I don't think there is someone to really help anchor that line so that Bjorkstrand can feel free to take risks without getting burned time and time again, which is what happened as Bjorkstrand has fallen to a minus 34 on the season. So I think all of that together means that Bjorkstrand is is not on track to have a great rest of the season. Uh, He did have a nice little spell where he was reliable. He had that four-point night uh, back, uh, it was a month ago now, though. And the shots were coming too. But hey, I, I think we need to really temper our expectations for what we'll see from him so long as his even strength situation is what it is, where he's not being anchored by anybody who can really um, sort of be, be his, his pillar to lean on and, and take offensive chances with. Uh, the funny thing about Roslovic, by the way, he had six shots in that hat-trick game against Detroit. You have to go back like seven games for him to have gotten his previous six shots combined. So I don't know what made him feel ready to shoot. Maybe, you know, when you score once, you start shooting more often. You score twice. Oh, yeah, you're going to really start shooting. So if Rossovic can just score early every game, then maybe he can keep getting some six shots games. But a lot of ones and zeros. And it's funny, his last six shot game, he scored twice. And he hasn't scored outside of those games for a long time. So uh, it'd be nice to see the shots keep coming for Rossovic, but I'm not optimistic. 
Yeah, maybe he saw that Alex Ndjelkovic was on the other side, so he figured maybe he could take some shots that normally he wouldn't since the, he didn't expect the goalie to be as good. Rosovic did have a good game against Boston, but he's struggled a lot down the stretch. Definitely after, uh, before this Columbus game, he had the win against Boston, but then he also let in four goals against the Sens uh, in his previous game. So he's definitely not been the revelation that it looked like Detroit had at the start of the year. We'll see if next year he can be better. Brian, so I guess we've uh, used up a lot of time here. I could just keep chatting with you all day, to be honest. I'll have more players to bring up. How about as an exercise to the reader, some other people I had on the list here. Uh, Kempe on LA is on a nice hot streak right now. Tyler Sagan all of a sudden making all of us feel dumb for either dropping him or not adding him when he was dropped in our leagues. Ivan Provorov, by the way, Philly has a good schedule next week also. And Provorov, after doing nothing for so long, is on a nice run. And Philly plays Tuesday, Wednesday, and then again Saturday, Sunday. I had some other players on this list. But anyways, Pasternak's been injured for a while still, and uh, Jake DeBrusque just continues to go insane. Uh, Definitely DeBrusque is someone interesting to look at in terms of next year. Like, do we just assume that he'll be regular old Jake DeBrusque, or do we think that he's finally turned a corner and they're going to keep him on the top line, and now he could be like 60, 70-point Jake DeBrusque? Uh, Oh, Owen Power coming back to Buffalo, or not coming back, but like joining the team finally, coming from college, and he's probably going to play next week. Buffalo does play four times. I saw a quote from the coach saying that he's going to be eased into the game uh or but at the same time like maybe he'll do well and get uh, some minutes maybe get some points so he's someone i don't know if i'd be rushing to grab him like for his first game on tuesday but definitely someone that if he's playing well i might consider him for the rest of the week um brian i just kind of just gave you the whole fire hose there of every other player on my radar so any final thoughts from you before we bid our listeners adieu and good luck uh, well, I'll just go quickly through them. Kempe, yeah, appealing, uh, still getting good deployment, and we've seen him go off, so it's not so surprising uh, that he can string a, a series of good games together. Tyler Sagan, uh, you know, I don't know if he's been consistent enough for us to be like, ah, we were wrong, Tyler, we were wrong, but he has been better lately. Uh, interestingly, playing with Marianne Studenich, who uh, who's new, n- newly regular to the lineup, and I don't know if that has anything to do with Sagan's success. I'm going to doubt it. Uh, Sagan obviously playing with Ben on the other side and not seeing top power play deployment. So uh, nice of him to show up on the score sheet. Uh, I just want him to change teams. I really, really do. I feel like he's become the new Spezza in Dallas, where it's like, just give this guy some time and space, and he'll do better. Um, but, you know, of course, a uh, more interesting stream at this point of the season than he has been several others. Uh, Ivan Provorov, the classic keeping Carlson to reverse jinx when we sort of like swore him off forever a few weeks ago. He's been producing pretty consistently since then. So we'll see if that continues. Jake DeBrusque uh, has had a great, great little run here. Um, of course, it's not sustainable. He's shooting 30% over the course of this run. And uh, most of this run has been powered by goals. So I uh, it's great. I'm glad he's seeing some success. He's probably raising his stock so that he can uh, he can get to a new team in the offseason. I don't know that this marriage between him and Boston is going to work out. But he's had, uh, he's had four more shots in three of his last five games. So he's a little more appealing to me than... Uh, well, he was more appealing already than Craig Smith. And he might be on the Eric Howla level at this point, which 
says well, what it says. I mean, if uh, Pasternak continues to be injured, then Hala is a lot less interesting to me, right? Because he's now playing with like Taylor Hall and whoever, Coiler. I don't even care. Like, uh, I, I just feel like right now, and also I wonder if with this DeBrusque thing, it's like, yeah, he asked for a trade. That's because he was playing in the bottom six. Now if they're like, all right, fine, we'll keep Pasta on the second line. We'll put you with Marshawn and Bergeron next year, assuming Bergeron comes back, then maybe he'll be like, okay, then I don't want to trade. Then I'm happy. <laughs> also, we have to see how this playoffs go, right? Like maybe he'll be a playoff MVP for all we know. There's a lot of ways things can go. I mean, we've had a really open mind about Jake DeBrusque for a long time, and he's actually still young. Like, there's still time for him to to step back in and step up. But uh, I feel like he's had his share of chances. But we'll see. We'll, of course, see. Taylor Hall, by the way, since Pasternak's injury, he had a multi-point game in Pasternak's first game out. Nothing over the next two. So he's been knocked off that really fantastic pace he was setting with Pasternak. And who's the last guy you mentioned? Oh, yeah, Owen Power. It'll be fine. It's always fun to see a top prospect show up in the NHL and see what he can do. Remember, he's a defenseman and he's on Buffalo. So keep your expectations reasonable, but it'll be nice to have a look. And of course, I still expect Rasmus Dahlin to be the go-to offensive guy on the blue line there. So I don't think there's a whole lot of space for power to really uh, explode offensively. And I'm not sure he's a much of a peripherals getter either, but I guess we'll uh, we'll at least get a quick look at a cup of coffee towards the end of the year for Owen Power. What's not to like about that? This is a fun time of year for seeing guys get their first looks in the league. Okay, well, Brian, this has been a blast, but I believe that we will have to say goodbye right now to everyone listening. We don't have short shifts coming next week, but... I don't know, I've been moving. Like, I just moved my houses. I was planning on doing a show. I'll try to get something in the feed before next week. But at the very least, we'll be back to recap the end of the fantasy season, at least for the Cupful, And I guess talk about still whatever is happening. Tweet at us actually at Keeping Carlson. Let us know if you're still going to be playing fantasy after next week, just so we can get a sense of how many people care about previews versus looking back of, on the season and maybe like previewing more next year. I'd be interested to know like how many people are actually still going to have things to play for after the 17th. But thanks so much, everyone, for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, we'd love for you to subscribe for the summer. We're going to have a ton of content coming your way with a beat writer interview series. Brian and I are going to do lots of episodes looking back on the season to start previewing. Like the, for us, the season doesn't end, right? Like we still do shows all throughout the summer. So make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to your shows. Uh, what else can I tell? Oh, we have a Patreon. We have a lot of fun on the Discord with the patrons all the time. Come jump in for a buck a month right now. It's basically, what do you say? A cup of coffee? Not even. Good luck finding a cup of coffee for a dollar. I dare you. Okay, so uh, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Thanks so much to the patrons who have supported us and kept the show going for all of this season. Uh, It's been a real fun time. I go there every day and have fun chatting with the patrons over on Discord. Uh, With that, Brian, I don't have anything else, so I'm good to cue the outro music. Why don't you go ahead and read the credits? Okay, but just before I do, good luck to you, Elon, and good luck to Mark in your Tier 1 Cacupful finals matchup we are going to have a new ultimate fantasy champion to add to the hall of fame and uh i can't wait to see if it's your name or not i I mentioned before the show that i'm conflicted because i like i feel like you're like this is something i have on you that i have won the cupful before and you haven't and i lose that if you win but you're my friend and i want you to be happy and i know how much you want this so i think ultimately i'm cheering for you but i'm gonna admit some part of me is gonna be like the smallest bit sad so uh Go you, go Mark. Listen, everyone's going to be a winner except the person who loses.
Yeah, honestly, like, uh, I'll be fine, Brian, if I lose. Like, you don't have to worry about, like, okay, my happiness. Okay, go Mark. <laughs> uh, also, I we should mention, Brandon and Harrison still potentially, they'll need an insane <laughs> night tonight, but I guess anything could happen. You don't want to jinx it, and I get that. So uh, so we'll see. We'll keep you all posted. Uh, we have daily updates coming on our Discord server uh, on the Tier 1 playoffs, uh, and you can be in the Tier 1 playoffs one day, too. The first step is to join us for a book. Anyway, oh, Elon already did I'll, all that. Also, let me mention, there's a bunch of other people in the Cuckupful Tier 2 through 7. We're going to have oh. a lot of fun Cuckupful winners coming up uh, next week. So good luck to everyone who are in your finals. And the winner of your division, like it's not all about Tier 1, right? Like If you win your division, you're in a rare class of people who have won any couple division and we're going to send you a cool one-of-a-kind t-shirt memorializing your wins so uh, good luck to everyone who made the finals it's a really big achievement i wish we had said that right at the top of the show because it is amazing we have a lot of finalists who have clawed their way there in the cuckupful it's a tough league it's a competitive league it's a fun league and congrats to everyone who's made it all the way to the finals good luck to everybody i hope everyone wins i really do it wouldn't be nice if it was a tie no, that'd be across boring. the board. Yeah, I guess it would be boring. I wouldn't want to play that game. But then no one would be sad. It's like one of those cooperative games where like, you play as a team. You know those board games where you're like trying to stop? Like Pandemic. You, yeah, like Pandemic. Is that fun? Like in the end you win and you're all like high five, I guess. But it's like, I, I, I prefer a game where I get to try to win and be the only winner. <laughs> you don't like the cooperative. Yeah, that's Well, fair. I guess I like, I like a team game. I like it's, I could be on a team and then we could feel smug about how much better we were than the other team. I w- like I, I am in a lot of leagues where I have a co-manager and it's maybe even a little more fun. Like I, I love a messaging with Maddie or with John Reed to talk about our teams and like be excited or disappointed together. But in the couple, it's all me. It's just like, I even like go to my wife and I'm like telling her what's going on in my couple team and she doesn't even care. I just like, I appreciate you, Brian, and uh, the people in the Discord talking about it to make me feel like someone else cares about it. Because sometimes I feel a little weird caring so much about something that obviously most people doesn't affect them. Uh, but it's been a blast. Yeah, thanks, by the way, uh, Andrea, for posting all these updates on the Discord. It's been really fun seeing other people's thoughts on my matchup and on my ad drops. This also reminds me, I, I put out the call for tributes, Elon, you don't even have to start the music, but I'm just going to, because there aren't many, and I, I take that to mean no one has lost yet. So congratulations, everybody, except uh, the Zurich Knight Herons, so long to you, Herons, Herons, uh, is probably the best. The Kopi One Kenobis are out, Dungeons and Drantonins, we're sorry, Ice Station Zebra, you're also gone, and like my father, but Boldy is also out, so... uh Sorry to you all, uh, but enjoy the next week. Enjoy watching hockey again. Sorry for you, as Post <laughs> would say. That's his new catchphrase, did you know? <laughs> I haven't caught on to that, but I, I'm going to be paying close attention to it now. Dean and I always get so excited when we're watching Survivor and he drops a sorry for you. In the last episode, he said it even like, normally it's like after the team loses the challenge, he's like, got nothing for you, sorry for you. Something like that, or I'm going to take your flint, like, sorry for you. In the last one, he even said like, going into the challenge, he was like, and for those of you who lose, sorry for you. Let's see what happens. Wow, that's great. I wonder if that's intentional. Yeah, there was like a fun preseason interview for like season 41, like the previous season where he said how he had some new alt. It was like a really weird interview. And he said he's going to have some new catchphrases. And he <laughs> said that like, sorry for you is going to be one of them. And it was such like a funny, weird thing to read. And then the fact that he's actually using it, because it's not a catchphrase, it's just like a weird thing to say. He's trying to make it a thing. I remember reading about the Ace Ventura, like the first movie with Jim Carrey. This just reminds me of like, there were like, I watched the movie and he's doing so many things like repeatedly. And then I read like this piece on it that he was like deliberately throwing everything at the wall to try and get something to stick in pop culture 
And so watching it back and seeing the things that I've never seen outside of that movie it's funny, but good so try. So what do you think is the biggest, like, takeaway? Like, was is it Le Who's a Her? Is that the biggest? <laughs> and all righty uh, then. Oh, yeah, I probably all righty then one. Is bigger, yeah. But there was, like, a weird thing he did, like, with his, like, fingers and I think, like, fixing his eyebrows or something that he really wanted to be a thing. And it wasn't. I mean, but I was I mean, obsessed as a kid. Those were the best movies. Well. Yeah. Oh, this has been fun. I guess we should wrap up the show. All right, cue the outro music. Why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right, this episode of the Keaton Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our super supporters, Patty, Rob, David, Derek, Kevin, Tom, Andrea, Flash, and Tyler. Thank you all so much. And thanks to everybody who is a patron, patreon.com slash Carlson if you want to join that crew. Thanks to our couple coordinator, Kevin A. Bear, and our amazing team of co-commissions keeping the league running smoothly. Thanks to Shams and Elon for keeping the amazing stream of fantasy news rolling on gamedaytweets.com. You can find links to all the essential Twitter feeds that you need to follow to stay on top of news and starts and line combos over at gamedaytweets.com. Uh, follow Ben and Lewis, even though Short Shifts is done for the season. Their tweeting might not be, so at Short Shifts KK. Also listen to Dave Benton's NHL Stream Scheme and follow him at NHL Stream Scheme. Logo art by Cupful semifinalist BrandonWeeb.com. Outro music and uh, hosting Elon in his studio this week is Pat Roach. So thanks, Pat, for being a pal in so many ways. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Tools, Dauber Prospects, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, The Athletic Hockey, Goldies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, NBC Sports Edge, and Yahoo. And also thanks to Mark for showing up on the show at the start and sharing his thoughts directly with his opponent. That was a great little tete-a-tete to get the week kicked off, right? I can't wait to see how your matchup goes. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Yeah. Uh, by the way, also thanks to Shams, who continues to give us updates here in the chat. I talked about Owen Power before. Yeah, he's going to play some games this season. Looks like also Maddie Beniers, another first-rounder, is going to play for the Kraken. And Kent Johnson, I saw, was going to play for uh, Columbus. So there's a few of these fun players. But yeah, thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see about getting something in the feed before next weekend. But we definitely going to be back at you next Sunday for another episode full of fantasy hockey insights and analysis. And Brian, what should we all do while we wait and see what we're going to talk about then? I mean, even though a lot of people are out, we need to still make sure that we're doing all we can to make sure that fantasy hockey is for everyone.